These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> Slayer's communicator, the replica from Hallmark. It's got really good sound. <laughs> and he would go into uh, his uh, neighborhood thrift store, and uh, you you can tell the story from there. Well, as everybody who's been a viewer of Star Trek for years, we all know what the original communicator looked like, and little did we know way back then that one day everybody would be carrying around phones that are even smaller and more sophisticated than the communicators that we had on Star Trek back then. I had the StarTac. The StarTac. That flipped. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so uh, I, we have a St. Vincent de Paul store here in Milford where I live, and I go there every day. And for many years now, I've been going there. And the population, or shall I say the workers, have <laughs> gone from somewhat older a little closer to my age to much younger who now only know uh you know the smartphones and everything and at one time i could flip out my communicator and everybody was impressed and knew what it was and now <laughs> they look at me like what the hell is that <laughs> well look at that old guy that older guy's got that flip phone he thinks he's really cool or something <laughs> yeah but can your phone make that noise <laughs> Enterprise to Captain Kirk. Come in, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, when you stop and think about the stuff that that uh, we only imagined in yes. the 60s, and we never thought we'd ever see it in our own lifetime. Well, then I grow up, and I see the next generation, and they're carrying around these tablets. Yeah, and they no longer use the communicator. They actually had the badge. Which wasn't this cool in a way. No, it was never the it same. It did make sense, but... Yeah. You couldn't do those other stories. I've never <laughs> seen anybody going out and buying them like they did the communicators. No. In fact, they did have those out for a brief period of time. That'd be neat, though, if, if um, Hallmark came out with one that you could push the, push the button and it made the sounds. Yeah. The, yeah. But it seems like they're actually downsizing as of this year on a lot of the Star Trek yes. stuff, which is disappointing. Yeah, I think in general they are. On they didn't even do as good with the 50th anniversary as I had expected they would. Everything up to that point, all these many you know, years. It was a disappointment with what they had and, and what they did have. They sold out, but it was really overpriced. Yeah. I thought. One of the opinion. things that they've been doing the last two or three years, I've noticed, is they're trying to get people to come in all through the whole year, starting in about July. And they they don't wait till Christmas or close to Christmas. And so there's a lot of the stuff that's being... It's gone. It's bought up long before you ever get a chance. We never yeah. used to... You and I never used to have that problem. Yeah, and then it's on the internet for three times the amount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, we're extremely <laughs> grateful for all the wonderful things that we have collected from uh, Hallmark through the years. Uh, they've done an absolutely fantastic job. And their artists... And their sculptors who yes. created all these little things from Star Trek. They, the first one I ever got was the Enterprise, the original series Enterprise. <clears throat> and it was actually at a perfume counter uh, in the cosmetics department of, um, I think it was McAlpin's. 
I'm not real sure. Probably. And even in those days, I think I paid at least 17 or $18. Did you ever go up the stairs and in the corner, there was furniture and stuff up there? And then there was baby things for kids and um, children's section. And then off in the corner, there was this little video game store. <laughs> and nobody knew about it. <laughs> and I'd go up there and you'd find all these games at a great price. And the, the at a have, Hallmark store. No, no. This was um, just a, um, in like McGalpin's in okay. the mall. Okay, yeah, in the mall. And yeah. you go upstairs and it was almost like... Um, you mentioned McAlpin's now, and yeah, most people was, don't even know what it yeah, is. Yeah, it was like a big department store. It was like J.C. Penney. Yeah. Uh, and and no they're, one, almost no one knows that they're almost <laughs> gone now. We Pretty soon, we won't be able to talk about anything but anymore. But it was real out of place, and it was just this little corner. It was literally a little corner. They just kind of set it up like they, a set. They thought, you know, one of these days, maybe this will catch on, it was and so two, we're going to have a little corner for it. It was two walls, <laughs> two walls and a counter. That's what it was. <laughs> Two walls in the couch. And they had games hung up, and the prices were great. And <laughs> yeah, they, nobody bought them yet. <laughs> nobody bought them. And uh, I remember going up there several times and was like, this is too good to be true. And then it, then it was gone. It was Jeremy's little corner. <laughs> he had his own little chair, just like Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Larry. <laughs> hey, look, how, look what a winner she's been through the years. <laughs> Still popular. That doesn't make me feel no, it doesn't better. doesn't help a lot. Does it? <laughs> you can tell podcasts are real and live by the crazy things we say and what we do and, it, and we don't complain though do we no we, no we're not going to sit here and it's not going to help we're not going to criticize and bark and carry on but uh yeah well where are we want to where do we want to go well with we're star going trek? to um we're going to discover star trek discovering star trek um, on this episode, we're going to look back at the original Star Trek series. Then we're going to discuss our first impressions of Star Trek Discovery. But first... Stand by. Retrospect reflect. Engaged. Hello, and welcome to the Retrospect Reflect Podcast. I'm Jeremy Fleming, and with me is Larry Fall. Well, hello there, Jeremy. You're doing this just like network television, where you see 10 minutes or 15 minutes worth of the show, and then the credits start. By the time they're over, the show's over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wonder what's next. We're beaming up. Notify transporter room. Oh, well. Oh, that's, it's that's, time to beam it's, up. It's time to go already. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye <laughs> goodbye it was really a nice conversation we had here tonight <laughs> well here's here we'll start with um tell us this your star trek memories of how you discovered star trek the original series well it was of course in 1966 and it was september the 8th and of course i didn't see the first episode <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> in fact i didn't even see a lot of the first episodes until they got rerun in the summer that was something that used to happen uh that never does anymore although we are on cbs is getting a little better at playing things again in the summer that you know that's kind of coming back again but for many, many years now, we've not seen reruns of the things that we originally watched in the fall and winter. But back then in the 60s, you did. And so that's essentially how I actually got to see Star Trek in its proper order was from about June until September of uh, 1967. Because it, it, when, it when it was introduced in the fall, I was in school and my mom was strict about homework and um, 
if I had really tried to follow Star Trek even without my mom being strict about homework, I probably wouldn't have been able to keep up with it because in those days, all we had to keep track of what was going to be on television was TV Guide, which was a good way to, it was actually better than the way we do it today in many respects, because at least you- It was more accurate. It was a lot more accurate. But here was the thing. The series got moved around by the network during its first few months, and it also- on the local basis, and this was, got preempted. Um, NBC. NBC. They didn't do too much of that until after the first of the year, if I recall correctly. It got to the point where it was it was like on at the right time when it was first introduced, but there really weren't that many episodes until well after the first of the year into 67 because they kept taking it off for all the uh, holidays and all that kind of stuff. Plus the fact that I never got to see it because of schoolwork. And uh, Jeremy likes to always ask me the question about, well, how did I actually find out it was even on the air in the first place? Um, I'd had, um, I was preparing for electronics in Glen Essie High School where I went to school. And uh, our school was one of the first in the state that had, um, you know, courses that you would normally go to college for. So you already had them over with by the time you got out of high school. So I had two years of electronics, but you had to have preparation for that. You had to have mechanical drawing and also shop, wood shop, metal shop, that sort of thing. I loved wood shop. And I'm, I remember what I was making when I found out about Star Trek. It was a <laughs> footstool. And Mr. Cunningham was our teacher, and I liked him. He was a really nice man. He's since passed many years ago. He wasn't that old. He had cancer, and he passed away. And um, But everybody loved Mr. Cunningham. And he, at the point in time we were uh, doing what we were doing, uh, well, I should say what I was doing and what we were all doing in class, at the time that I found out about Star Trek was we were working with hand tools. We okay. That was the first semester. And so my little footstool, which is cherry wood, and I still have it. It's in the, in the living room in there. <laughs> okay. it's, it's 50 plus years old now. Uh <laughs> was all made with chisels and uh, planes and sandpaper and everything. And so we were all, all of us boys were, because we didn't have girls in this class. We did in electronics later on, but in the wood shop, it was all, all guys. And I think it was like maybe four to six guys at one of these big tables with devices and everything. Right. And uh, way down at the other end of the table, a couple of these guys are talking about, hey, did you see that new show on TV last night? That new uh, space show. And one of them said, yeah, it was cool, wasn't it? I don't even know if they said cool back then, but it was something like you that. You get the gist of it, right? Yeah, you know, it, was, it was probably... Uh, it was groovy. It was groovy. That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> or swell. And that's come back, groovy. <laughs> groovy. Swell. Swell. It was a yeah. swell show we swell. saw last night. But anyway, they were talking about this program, and they were actually, unlike most kids, they were actually discussing it seriously. And one said to the other, yeah, it's it's very different from everything I've ever seen in the movies. He said, uh, people just, they get on this platform and they dissolve and then they reappear down on the planet where they're going. And then they do the same thing in reverse when they come back up to the ship. And they said, the ship doesn't look like any spaceship I've ever seen before. Uh, it's not a rocket. It's, it's, right. it's weird shaped and, and they were trying to describe it. And I have to remember, I have to 
admit the first time I ever saw it, and, and Jeremy and I have talked about the poor TV sets that I had at the point in time when I was first watching uh, yeah, it. Yeah, it's black and white. You had one TV. Yeah, well, actually, I came to think last night, uh, or since we talked about it again, uh, that I actually had two TVs. Oh, yeah, two. One was a black and white Crosley, which was already in existence when I was born. Okay. They got it, I think, a few months before I was born. I was born in 1951, so the TV set was already there when the first I Love Lucy ah. premiered. And that was on October the... Th- I think the 15th of October in 1951. So where were these TVs located? One was in the basement, and we had somebody had given us this other set, and it was slightly larger. The, the Crosley was a 15, and I think the one in the basement was like a 17 or 20. Okay. And it wasn't very clear. It was blurry, yeah. but it was black and white, and I could go look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the big issue is that right. I could go look at it. Yeah. And my first impression of the Enterprise when it would go shh across the screen, <laughs> it looked like a great big frog with its legs hanging out from behind it. That doesn't sound a, a really, like a compliment. You know, and that's just how bad TV really looked yeah, in those days. it didn't days. look like it This was set was to. a little less good than than some of the ones. And, and Jeremy and I have also discussed the fact that, you know, color television existed. NBC was the network that uh, Star Trek was fortunate enough to actually end up getting aired on, which that's a long story within itself because there could have been other networks that it would have been on. But it turned out that it wasn't. And the good thing about NBC was that it already had been the first color network because it was an RCA, uh, you know, product, so to speak. And um, Bonanza was the first full-time color uh, series. So they already had basically laid the ground for Star Trek long before it ever came on the air, (laughs) along with the wonderful world of color with Disney and all that stuff that was on Sunday nights. I mean, even Ed Sullivan on CBS was not in color. And it was one of the most watched shows. CBS was the last network to go color. And it was like they had to force them to do it when they did they finally thought, they did. thought it was just going to be a fad it's a fad it's a phase you know we're not going to have any what this color thing is just going to go away now, anyway. wasn't there color converters they had all kinds of <laughs> they had all kinds of things they had these polarization like were things. horrible yeah they had this thing that was like a piece of plastic that actually would make it kind of rainbow like <laughs> yeah put it over your screen and they had enlargers <laughs> for screens and all kinds of stuff too they had a thing that you could project screens with you had to turn the tv set upside down it was like a great big magnifying. It was a Fresnel lens. That, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it was a wonderful idea. <laughs> you always had to turn the dial the other way. Of course, that, this, that's something that people no, don't you know. Just, you uh, just do a handstand. Yeah, you had to stand on your head to watch TV. Actually, the picture came out no, right just, side just, up. But. No, just to, no, just to dial, just to change the channels. <laughs> stood on your head. It's best to get a pair of tongs. <laughs> now, we're, we're talking about something here that most of the listeners don't even understand. Because I remember with Married with Children already, um, Kelly and uh, Bud didn't understand how to change the stations on the TV, although they had a knob. Without the remote. The, without the remote. remote. Yeah. So we're like, how many years? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be in bed, like, watching TV before school. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, the night before school, I had to get up early. And it's like, oh, I got to get up and change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't stand commercials even back oh, then. Oh, God, he's always had a problem with those. And now <laughs> it's gotten so bad, I can't stand most of them either. 
But anyway, uh, like I said, we had two TVs, and uh, the Crosley was the one that was in the in the actual living room, and so that was the main set to watch it on. And then this other one—I don't even know what kind it was. It was and down let's the basement. Just be honest here. The parents controlled TV watching back then. Exactly. Now kids do. And telephones, too. And telephones. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you didn't ever call anybody long distance, not unless somebody had just died. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd better be dead. That cost money. That costed money, yeah. And and you better make your conversation as brief as possible yeah or forever yeah, so, hold your so, uh, peace so and so died by yeah that yeah no details you'll find that out at the funeral if you come <laughs> if you don't you never find out you know It'll just be a mystery to you yeah but anyway star trek premiered like i said on september the 8th these young men that uh, i was in class with they talked about it and i overheard their conversation and i don't think i even talked to them about it it's like i gotta check this out and so now did you get home and and get that tv guide yes that was what i and it was described the man trap that was the name of the episode and i thought this doesn't sound very interesting because it really wasn't <laughs> it wasn't even, <laughs> even they would admit i mean william shatner on uh star trek memories which you mentioned yeah. a lot and we've i've listened to a lot and anybody out there will want to hear this yeah star trek memories is a as a book and then William Shatner recorded the audio for it. And you wouldn't think he was doing it from a book because he sounds like he's just doing it off the top of his head. You will learn things that you've never heard of about Star Trek. That's for sure. It's really interesting. And he said the only reason why the man trap was aired was because the network wanted it. And I don't know and, why. <laughs> uh, well, because the network doesn't have good judgment of when it comes to stuff like yeah. this. They They... They had such I mean, poor judgment that they almost canceled the series. They did a couple of things right, though. They did, exactly. They, they ordered a second pilot, mm-hmm. which we'll go, we'll go into that in a minute. But um, the other thing they did was they said, "We this show needs more color. Yes. Well, and and it, now we know why they, they had color TV. Well, they wanted to make the most out of it, and they yeah. wanted it to be exciting. Yep. And, of course, they already had the sound effects down. I, I have to honestly admit... The sound effects were a lot more, they were a lot louder in the original runs of those shows than they are today. Okay. They've toned them down a lot. Yeah. Um, especially what I always refer to as the sonar beep. That's where the little light, you know, runs along the bottom of yeah. the viewing screen. Boy, that used to just pierce your ears when you'd listen to it. And... Um, Spock's sound effects like where he would go over to his viewer that has the little knob on there, you know, that he rotates around and that goes, it sounds like a little puppy. (laughs) That's what it always sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You're right. And, uh, that got toned down in all of the, uh, DVD versions of it and everything. But when they, when they had it in the 16 millimeter reruns on local TV stations during the seventies and eighties, all those sound effects were still very loud. Okay. And so people who, they probably wonder today, well, what exactly? I remember these sounds. They used to be a lot more dominant, and uh, that's what they did. They toned them down. I think because they really were a little louder probably than they needed loud, to be. Yeah. yeah, they seem pretty perfect nowadays. But now, when did you get to actually watch an episode? The first actual episode that I remember clearly was the Corbamite maneuver, which is somewhat down the series. It's and it's a very good episode. It's, and it really impressed me. And I remember, um, and of course now you've got to remember, I'm in black and white 
all the way to 1974. Right. So the, tr- just, the, the Star Trek series is canceled. It's by been then. off the air and everything. We went to the moon and everything. <laughs> and 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 but you I, did have a. I was not what you call an early adopter. You were- I I did not like how to be honest with you. Color television really stunk in the early days. I don't care who had the best set in the world. It was rotten. Here's the thing. Americans invented the color TV, but they never went any further with it in upgrading it or making it better. They were satisfied with the, you know, status quo. I can remember almost all of the color TV sets were like oscilloscopes. They had round screens and and they matted them. You got to see a... um, Yes, I did. I got to see... I saw it a couple of times. I saw... the neighbors. Once at my neighbor's house and then, you know, Larry Staten, who uh, was one of the three DJs at our school and I was one of them. Uh, Larry had color TV at his house. Now, he had probably a newer set than these other people did. And it was short leave I saw at his house and I can't remember which one it was I saw at the uh, house I said it was the farmhouse up the street from where we lived yeah uh, I saw the invaders there in color too for the first time and a, did I ever see him at his I don't think I ever saw him at his house but I did see the invaders at our neighbor's house their, yeah uh, their name was Singleton and they lived in a big old farmhouse that had been there since probably the 20s or 30s that's how old this place was and um anyway yes i did get to see it in color and it was impressive i mean yeah you know it's like oh my goodness and then you kind of wish you did have color but yeah. i still didn't like color i didn't right. and i was right you weren't sold yet <laughs> it wasn't until the japanese got into the electronics market and yeah. they reinvented the color television and then i bought a 13 inch believe it or not that's as big as i got even then yeah um sanyo portable and a portable in those days was big yeah yeah, it, yeah right it, it, you, <laughs> you had to have sp- spinal readjustment every time you <laughs> you go to alan harper for yeah, that radio shack had the uh old catalogs i'd go through the old catalogs and it'd say um it'd be like typewriter or something and it'd say portable only 78 pounds yeah with a handle on it yeah <laughs> you needed a forklift to put it on you might lift it up to the bo- up to the two forks and then set it on there but you then you'd have to move it with the forklift but anyway yes i got my first color television from steinberg's here in cincinnati another company that nobody knows about anymore yeah, and i think i, I paid them. nearly three or four hundred dollars for this set yeah. and it was in 1974 and that's when everything had to get changed. But we need to go back to the 60s first. But wait, now when you get this TV set, was that what it was for? That was what it was for. Was it was for you wanted I to watch wanted to see Star, Star Trek? Trek in color, yeah. yeah. And by now it was no longer a network and it was on the local stations and it was being, uh, you know, it was syndicated. And I was actually watching. Which we have, I love uh, Desi Lu to thank for the syndication thing oh yeah it she, hadn't been for i love lucy she i don't figured think, that out right away didn't she yes she sure did lucille ball now a lot of people don't realize but lucille ball was very uh let's put it this way powerful she not only was powerful she is responsible for star trek being on the air yep, she and it. for mission impossible yeah both of which she signed off on after she became in charge of Desilu Productions. Right. Because she and Ricky, Ricky Ricardo, right. <laughs> or Desi Arnez, is a real name, they um, 
divorced. They divorced, and she she decided what was going to be able to film in the studio and what wasn't. Yep, she took it over, and boy, was she ever... And she saw something in Star Trek. She saw something in Star Trek, and, and uh, that's how it got on the air. Um, getting back to my TV sets, uh, part of my story, uh, like I said, I had that one in the basement, which I'd long ago forgotten about until just the other day. <laughs> But bad. between September the 8th, 1966, and the following birthday, which was September 3rd, 1967, my mom and dad asked me, what did I want for my birthday? I finally figured out that that was where I got that set. We were talking about this the other day, and I, I said, I can't remember when I got this set. I got a little General Electric black and white 12-inch set. I still own it. It still works. <laughs> <laughs> Man, let's, nothing, watch, let's watch some Star Trek on it. We shall have to do that. We can do that because I run. I can actually transmit analog in Screw here. Screw this collar <laughs> stuff. Yeah, well, that's cut, never gone anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, we got this little TV. And as I told Jeremy the other day, I said the one thing I had a problem with with this TV was that it General Electric had made one engineering flaw. They had put a plastic cover over the high-voltage rectifier tube in the flyback transformer section of the TV, which in those days, you know, with all cathode ray tubes, you had to have a lot of high voltage, and that's what made the the, uh, the line go back and forth across the screen at high high rate of speed. Yeah. It was a, a, it was a Tesla technology. Yeah, pretty cool. And this one B3 tube was the rectifier, and you do not put plastic around a rectifier tube at high voltage and so essentially it had a corona around it and the whole the air in the house was just so nice and fresh because you had ionization going on i mean you, have you ever seen air cleaners yeah. with an ionizer yeah. the tv did it for you but <laughs> you also had a little line running across the screen that but it roll. wasn't supposed to do that the only one supposed to do that and it um it it screwed up the reception for one thing or ruined the pictures what it did yeah and of course it eventually within a very reasonable length of time not very reasonable actually no not reasonable at all <laughs> the tube would go out right and so my mom and dad were at this point in time i was a bit young yet i was working on radios and everything but they wouldn't let me open this tv of course it was also like if you screw it up you're going to be in big time trouble right because that was my birthday present i think they cost like 66 dollars or something which today doesn't sound that's like a lot much. no that's a lot it was in those yeah. days yeah and so they bought me this little tv so it's like you do not take it apart do you know that that whole television is held together with one screw? Yeah. I kid you not. I mean, today, if you had to pay that much or something, it's like, hey, you might want to get something new maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we, we had a TV repairman actually put three different ones of these tubes in. Yeah. And finally, my dad says, well, this is ridiculous. And I said, well, I think I know what's wrong with it if you'll let me fix it. And he finally said, well, if you think you know what you can do with it, then do it. It's just, but don't get hurt with it, you know. Right. And so I said, I know what's wrong with this. That darn plastic cover they got over this tube. And let's get back to that. There are a lot of people that don't realize that you can get hurt. Oh very, yeah, very that's much. That's a lot of voltage back there. People think a lot of people believe if you unplug something, you're good. Oh yeah, well, you're, you're good. Believe to go. it or not, the cathode ray tube will kill you with the set turned off. Yes. If you go up to the anode. It'll knock you clear across the room. Yeah, and people have found out about it, unfortunately. Now, they have usually both survive, but it, it, it could kill you. It could cause your heart to stop. Yes. 
or it could cause you to hurt yourself physically by the flash by the very physical you might be thrown against something yeah and thankfully <laughs> with the internet now you can get online and 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 watch how to repair these things if you're that kind of person but usually they'll tell you hey listen this is dangerous that's very dangerous well anyway what i was doing was pr- really less dangerous because once you turned it off this particular thing all you did was just pull this tube out yeah and put a new tube in and so what we did we went to the same guy that we had bought the three other tubes from <laughs> and this time we didn't have him put it in we just bought the tube and I took it home. And he was like, dang it. <laughs> dang it. There goes my racket. <laughs> he probably had a whole row of those things because uh, everybody that owned these things were having them go out. Oh, all he the loved time. it. And so I put the new tube in and I told my dad, I said, this time we're not putting that plastic cover on. And he says, well, you think that's what's wrong with it? It did not have the line anymore. It didn't have the nice fresh air anymore. <laughs> and it... Uh, I think still has the same tube in it after all these years. Isn't that something? That's that's how long it's lasted. So we managed to get through Star Trek for the remainder of the year. Now, what was going on even in the first year? We live in a heavy sports city. We have the Reds here. Uh, the Bengals were kind of like, I don't even think they existed yet, but we certainly had plenty of baseball uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, yeah, the and first major league team yes. organization and wlwt which is channel five here in cincinnati uh was the nbc affiliate and they reserved the rights to preempt tv shows that were on the network for the ball games right well first of all they had a very older crew of people who were strictly sports and very conservative right. in those days and they didn't get Spock. They didn't get Star Trek. They didn't understand what is this stupid show. I mean, that was the attitude generally across the board in most people's ears, eyes, yeah. nose, and brains. Was this is the dumbest thing I ever saw? If there's anything you can put on in place, yeah, anything of it, at do. all, it, yeah. you can even talk about a baseball game for hours, exactly, <laughs> or put on a cartoon if you want. No, yeah, nobody whatever. cares. We don't care. And so every chance they got, they preempted. You asked me why I didn't see it very much. Well, one of the reasons I didn't see it was, like I said, homework. Then when I would finally get around to wanting to watch it, I'd turn on the channel and the TV guide would say it was on and it wouldn't be on because something local was preempting it. This went on and went on and went on. And summertime when you could finally catch the reruns, that's baseball. That's when a lot of times I was running into that problem, yes. But here's something I discovered. And I discovered it by TV guide because I didn't have UHF yet. Ah, okay. You see, those two TVs (laughs) I just mentioned were pre-64 televisions. In other words, they'd been manufactured before 1964. And UHF was not common on sets in those days. In fact, if you wanted UHF, you had to buy an outboarded converter, much like digital TV did just a few years right, ago for, yeah, you know, when that. we made them change over for that. That's good that they did that. Now I have some way to tell my story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's not very many people bought the converters because all we had was, as a rule, uh, they didn't call them PBS stations in those days. They call them educational channels. And our only educational channel, which, by the way, was the first one in the whole nation, was WCET Channel 48. 
and it was only on the air for three or four hours a day and it was for schools mostly okay. so nobody bought a converter you know right. there was nobody bought nobody was broadcasting on uhf in cincinnati however this is what's weird about it we were ahead in the fact that we had our uhf tv channel which was probably before everybody else but the other cities were actually broadcasting commercial broadcasting on uhf okay and i found out about channel 22 which is wkef tv in dayton and they had nbc and abc they shared networks now don't ask me how they did that i swear to god i don't know to this day but they managed to pull it off somehow uh, but star trek was there yeah that's all i cared right so when i got my new tv i had uhf but all I had was a VHF antenna. It was a double Lazy X up on the roof, and those did not receive UHF well. You could get it, but it wasn't, you know, it's not resonant. It didn't work right with the higher frequencies. All I had was the little loop that goes on the back. Remember the little? Uh, I remember those. <laughs> but I could get 22, <laughs> and I could see Star Trek in black and white. In black and white. <laughs> We're not going to get the color for a while. Well, anyway... <laughs> I uh, I fought with my little loop antenna. Of course, in the wintertime, it got even stranger when the snow and the sleet and the rain <laughs> yeah. and everything else. And I'm moving the TV around all the time. My mom said, will you leave that thing alone? You're always moving it somewhere. Why? And she couldn't get the, she couldn't grasp the concept of why I'm always back behind the set pulling on the loop and doing this and that. You, and weren't, you, you weren't like uh, Jackie, you know, Ralph Cramden, where you're going down the stairs and everything, going out the door. That's the difference between UHF and VHF. You can't put a lot of wire on it and do that. Right, it's right on the back. <laughs> it's on the back, and that was where we had it. This went on for, like, the whole... Uh, so you're basically, you're catching Star Trek whenever you can. It's not in any particular order. No, it's it was a mess to try to watch it, but I knew I liked it. Yeah. And so that was my Chris, you know, that was my birthday present. So keep in mind here, everything that Larry's doing is for Star Trek. Everything's for Star Trek, <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, but I'm gaining a lot of other good shows. As oh, a, sure, in, in, yeah. In, but, I mean, you like TV, but it was Star Trek. Yeah, it was. That Trek. was why this whole thing was happening. Well, my next birthday, um, which was a whole year later, I suffered with the loop antenna, but I'm still getting now. I'm getting to see Star Trek, right? And, um. My grandma and I, uh, she had a VHF set, but she didn't have UHF either. And she lived in a house trailer next to us. So I'd go over there and watch Star Trek with her. My mom and dad couldn't care less about it. They didn't get it. They were like Channel 5. They didn't get my grandma, who's older than they are, my mom's mother, <laughs> she's loving it. She's watching Adam's Family with me in, in Star Trek and and you name it, she watched it. She, right. and, and if she were here to alive today, she'd be telling you how she watched Lost in Space and yeah. Star Trek and, and all these shows with Larry. And, and you were her TV guy. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> fix her antenna. And, and she'd always say, all you have to do is wave your hand over it and it works that's what she'd always say and but anyway she had a little silver tone tv from sears roebuck that's where it came from and she got that right after my grandfather died in 1964 so she was already watching a better tv than we actually had right. in our house and so when star trek came along i'm having such a hell of a time trying to watch it at my house so it was like one week i'd be watching it over her place if it was on vhf and then the next week if it was preempted <laughs> locally and she couldn't see it i'd go home and watch it on 
my little UHF with my loop antenna and play with it. But by the following birthday, this, this had just come to a head. I had done my research and I was going to have me an outdoor antenna to get channel 22 out of Dayton. And I not only gained Star Trek, I gained a whole lot of other stuff that I oh, yeah. couldn't see. So my mom and dad said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want a corner reflector UHF bow tie antenna. And then they said, what the heck is that? That's about what I heard. <laughs> and there's more. Write it down. <laughs> and there's more. Like the commercials, you know, but there's more. <laughs> I also wanted, because I'd done my research on this, uh, I knew what flat twin lead was like on UHF. It was horrible. Yeah. Now, in those days, I remember that too. Most of your schools that used UHF for these educational TV channels had these enormous antennas that looked very much like a satellite dish, and uh, they were UHF antennas. They were incredibly uh, deep fringe. I mean, by the it, way, the UHF movie with Weird Al Yankovic is really good. Yeah, and it fits in with a little <laughs> bit of what I'm saying, too, because most people didn't have it yet. Right. Anyway, but it, he he gets into where, where that show actually picks up is kind of like where we're going to go a little later on when Star Trek goes into syndication, because okay. he was dealing with independent TV stations. Right. And, and that's another segment of this story yet to come. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I wanted an antenna. And my mom and dad, we went to Swallens. Older listeners here in the Cincinnati area, and maybe even further away, may remember uh, a local independent furniture, I would call it a furniture store for the yeah. most part. But it had electronics. Store. But they had electronics. And it was pretty they cool. They had everything. Yeah, I mean, they really did. I mean, I was still buying videotapes They were kind of like a sam's club or costco in a way yeah before that was out yeah they had a little bit of everything and when mr swallen was still alive and owned the place uh quality was a number one and good price was is yeah it was fairness but they didn't so, have any food or nothing did they no they were no, just a just store furniture it, yeah and and they didn't move things around you could go in there blind put blindfolds on and stuff would st <laughs> 30 years later still in the same place you know and you trip over a chair that's been there for a long time yeah. you, know? it, you could always go back and get whatever you wanted but anyway i got i don't even know why they were even carrying tv antennas but they well yes they well, they had TV they had a stuff. lot of tv yeah. yeah they had a lot of stuff in there i don't don't even know how i found out they had the one i wanted but they maybe i called them i don't know that's uh, you didn't get online no <laughs> i had to have used one of those rotary telephones <laughs> we did have private lines but we did when i was a child have oh the party line party line oh wow oh yeah oh, we that's had a, a whole nother we, we, that, uh, yeah we episode. had one, we had one of those i can remember when i stayed up real late one night when they announced they were going to change the the frequency of the dial tone it used to be and then well, it went Boo. if you want to watch something funny about party lines watch the mr ed with clint eastwood that's a oh that's a great episode we won't go into it now but that's really funny so anyway, mom and dad says, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want a corner reflector antenna and I want this special foam filled line. Now, most of the foam filled lines in those days was a round kind of, it almost looked like our coaxial cable today, except instead of it having a center lead and an outside shield, it actually had two leads, one on each side of this foam filled capsule. I didn't want that kind. <laughs> I already found out that stuff does not work good. 
I wanted what is called UHF VHF foam filled line and it was expensive. I think we spent something like almost forty dollars wow. for about thirty feet. Yeah, back then you gotta remember. And then. my dad says, Holy God <laughs> <laughs> What kind of stuff is this anyway? And I said, It's good stuff and you're gonna find out when I, I don't hook know it up. why I'm picturing the um the father from a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was one of those kind of people who he grew all his own vegetables and he, he everything in his yard was his doing. He saw the toto and he said, What is this, my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> The one thing my dad was always good about was that he might question it a little bit, but he had enough faith in me that I did not go out and just buy stuff that was not important. He knew you did your research. By this time, he realized that when I said, this is good stuff and it's going to work, well, maybe it will be worth the money. And he liked his TV too, Plus the fact he would do anything for me and my mom too. Uh, they, They did not give me excessive gifts. That was not, in fact, when my mom passed away, I remember her eulogy that I, I got up and like I'm doing this thing today, it was off the cuff. And I said, one of the things about my mom and dad is that they never bought me a lot of toys. They never spent a lot of money on anything they bought me unless it was something I really wanted. And I got the one thing and I still have whatever it was. So when you, I've kept it all these years, oh, yeah, you know, no, right. and I, you know, and there's my mom laying there. She's in her casket and I'm talking about how they're being thrifty. That was one <laughs> of their greatest assets, which they passed on to me, you know, and so uh, you, uh, to get back to the story, the foam filled line. So it worked. You oh, got it that. sure did work. And it was barely long enough. And now you're watching Star Trek. Star Trek's coming in real good. Now we, what we did was my dad got a piece of pipe and we put it up and you and I were talking about hand rotating one day yeah well the way we had this thing fixed up my dad had a trellis that he had uh roses growing on and he made me these brackets that the pipe would actually stand off away from this trellis yeah and there were two brackets one down near the bottom of the pole and then one that was about 12 or 13 feet up the pole and they held it away about a foot from this trellis and i had it fixed so that i could hand rotate without even looking up at the antenna i already knew exactly where i wanted it to be pointed each day uh, for each station i had it for channel 22 and i had it uh, originally we didn't have channel 19 yet they hadn't come on the air. They right. didn't come on until 1967. So what he's talking about is physically moving this pole that moves his antenna uh-huh. to point towards these stations to get a better picture. Exactly. And I had the numbers written right and on there with a little line. When I was a kid, line. we had a rotor. <laughs> we had a rotor. and Which, of course, I have here, too. And you, and you would just turn it, and that picture would get real clear, and you'd get really good at it. You knew exactly where to tune it in for Dayton or whatever. Yeah. It actually had marks on it. Yeah, it, it had a compass. Pretty accurate. This way, you literally go out and look at which way the antenna was pointed, and you'd get it until you finally got it right, and every and then after you finally knew exactly where it was, you'd put yourself a little mark a little on market. the pole. Yeah. And you never had to look at it anymore. you just go out there and turn it, and that was all you had to do. So you'd see me running out the door now all year round you know there, <laughs> did you know there was remotes back in your days there was little remotes and they were called children yeah 
<laughs> so the children would turn the channel. They would uh, move the pole. For the- <laughs> I didn't have anybody to help me. I had to run in and out the door. Well, yeah, you were the remote. And the dog would run up the the dog would run up the stairs behind me and look at me while I'm out there turning it. Like, well, what are you doing out there? And then I'd come back and he'd say, Well, you're back. Good. <laughs> and so we'd watch Star Trek. And the interesting thing was, and did uh, your dad get into Star Trek at all? He watched it, but he didn't understand. More it. to watch it for you. Yeah, it was fine. Larry likes it. That's good enough. You know, but he kind of read and, a and paper while he's watching it with no, you. No, my dad or... never read papers. He pretty much worked out in his garden or in his garage, and then or he something. would sit and watch it. Yeah, he'd watch it with me, but he didn't understand what they were trying to do. Uh, <laughs> it was okay, Larry. Did liked you ever it. have to explain it to him? Oh, I tried that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> you ought to see me try to explain Wharf to him. He never did grasp Wharf. <laughs> well, was that guy got that funny thing on? head for <laughs> but uh that's many years so he, into the he, future. he put up with you watching it oh yeah my mom and dad they, if i liked it then you know it was okay yeah. but uh i don't think they really understood my but your grandma but with, your grandma would really watch it my grandma you. understood it believe yeah. it or not you know and she loved william shatner and leonard nimoy and and she just thought the show was such a neat idea. You know, yeah. she just really thought it was great. And we're watching it in black and white, too, you know. Yeah. And another thing I used to do, I every, every television set I had, I had it hooked up so that I could record off of it. Ooh. And <laughs> I was way ahead of my time on that. Yeah, you really and were. And I was... I couldn't get enough tape. That was always probably. Yeah. So all I had was little three or five yeah. inch reels. And this is just the audio. Yeah, real, I was recording. Uh, I'd record favorite segments, but I was always trying to get the themes, and you could never get them because they'd always talk over them. I remember Sheldon complaining about that one time on Big Bang Theory. You're like, I know what you mean. I felt I knew exactly what he was talking about. He said, I wanted to get the one with the theremin in it, he said one. I remember that's the same one I was trying to get. Oh my god, that's Six, funny. In the 60s, I was trying to Which get it. Which means one of the writers for that show is like you. And was like trying somebody, that. yeah. He well, let me, let me go into my um, discovery of Star Trek. Okay. I would say it was about 84, 85. You're spoiled. You saw it in color. I was very spoiled. <laughs> Uh, I saw it on a bigger TV in color, and it's reruns, of course, because I, I wasn't around when Star Trek was born. No, but it had begun to be appreciated, and you weren't laughed at for watching it anymore. No, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was, not only was it swell, it was cool. It was swell and cool. Yeah. And um, so I'd watch TV with my dad. He'd let me watch it and stay up every night. And uh, like I said, it was reruns and color TV set. And uh, the thing, the first thing I noticed was Captain Kirk had the nicest television that I've, I've ever seen. Wasn't it a cool TV? <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And, and they uh, had the biggest big screen that anybody oh, ever saw. Huge big screen. <laughs> you could see all of space out there. Um, <laughs> and there's somebody in this neighborhood that has one of those captain kirk tvs in their very small living room i you know what i think those people moved away because now when i go past the house the tv's not on anymore oh my gosh i miss that it i used lit to, up the whole house oh yeah it was like glowing in the dark you could see it a half funny. a mile away it took up it about literally took up their whole wall it did and, they, and the window wasn't even big enough to cover the whole image that you could see <laughs> <laughs> you'd see it through the venetian line of that hey, it was funny i tell you it was cracked me up you every couldn't time. help but notice i kept it. pointing it out to you i I kept saying on the phone you gotta look for this <laughs> <laughs> really funny but anyway um oh god i didn't call it star trek i called it star track 
track. A lot of people did. Yeah. And I had a, to make matters worse, I had a speech impediment. Mm -hmm. I had difficulty with the letters L and R. You were from Japan. (laughs) Yeah. And I I would say Staltwack. Well, we don't use those letters very much. No. Can can, can we watch (laughs) Staltwack? So, Larry, how has Star Trek, uh, you've kind of answered this in a way, but how has it influenced you? I'd say that it has influenced me in so many ways I can't even begin I to I mean, imagine. you're repairing TVs over it. Yes. You're, you're, you're improving <laughs> antennas, <laughs> buying wire. You're learning all about signal strength. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. very important. That had a whole lot to do with my learning about um, signal strength. You, your car, the first car you had was called a star, referred to as the Starship Enterprise. Star no, car. Carship Enterprise. Carship. Carship Enterprise. I had a one-year stint working in sales, which is something you don't want to do, by the way. Carship Enterprise. Uh, Jeremy will testify to even that more than I will. Oh, sales spent, is fun. Yeah, it'll kill you. Oh. Uh, or you should be killed for even taking well, the one job. one of our friends says is, uh, uh, sales, what else are you going to do? What else is there? <laughs> it's the final frontier. If it doesn't kill you, you'll be buried long before you die. Uh, or wish you were. But but anyway, I did have one year in sales, and there was a guy, uh, his name was Steve. I forget his last name, but it doesn't matter. And um, he was an Andy Griffith fan. He was always doing Barney stuff. You know, he was talking <laughs> yeah, about Barney. Yeah. And he, one day, went out to the, we had one of those garages, you know, the the kind of the stack garages yeah. at this department. Well, this was actually a mall is what it was. And um, he looked in my underneath of my uh, rearview mirror on the windshield and he saw this little starship enterprise now this was not something i had bought this is something i had made mm-hmm. i made this in like the first season of the show being on the air and it used to be on like a keychain and was fastened onto my belt loop and i used to wear it to school okay. and people used to say <laughs> Where the hell did you get that? And I said, I made it. Can you make me one of those? And of course, what it was made out of, what I had done was I had carved a Starship Enterprise into a two by four. Okay. And heated lead and poured it into it. That was the mold. Wow. And then I used tester's paint like you used to put on um, models. Yeah. And I painted it, and it looked just like the Starship Enterprise from the side. And then I dipped it in a clear plastic to give it a coating so that it would stay, the paint wouldn't fall off. Yeah. Plus the fact that by the fact that I was wearing it, it would get knocked up against things a lot. Right. And it would chip it. So that kept that from happening. And of course, after I stopped wearing it on my pants, <laughs> I hung it on my uh, on my rearview mirror, and it was still on there in this '73 Ford Maverick. And in the, what was it about 1986? And the Carship Enterprise and the car, was born. He called it the Carship Enterprise. <laughs> it's it's never ending mission uh, because by this time the Carship Enterprise was beginning to rust out, and it had oh, holes. No. Actually, it was a Flintstone mobile because, uh, and there was a period of time while I'm working at this job that they wouldn't let me off very much, and the transmission was slipping so bad, I considered just sticking my feet through the floor and, and just sort of puttering my way back and forth to work every day in the car ship enterprise. Uh, I could have said, 
She can't go any faster, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> the thrusters are down. <laughs> we have no more fuel. <laughs> the warp nacelles have fallen off. <laughs> what was that again? Can't make transporter contact, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Scotty. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, of course, you're talking about the era. We've jumped way ahead because you're talking about, because you, uh, you were born so much later than me. Right. And, well, Jeremy's an old soul. Uh, he should be my son as far <laughs> as age goes. Yeah. In fact, he'd be a pretty old son. Yeah. Because the way people get... Yeah. Well, you're close to my father's age. Yeah. We're know. not very far apart. But anyway, he likes all the stuff I grew up with. And, I, you know, we're like, when we're sitting talking everything, you know, it's like uh, we're the same age. Yeah. And Larry likes a lot of the new stuff that I like as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've <laughs> been very adaptable. Uh, I have a little trouble with some of the new Star Treks. They move a little too fast for my liking. And I haven't quite gotten used to the... Uh, interpersonal relationship with the new Spock and the new Uhura. Uh, although I like both of them very much, and God, who couldn't like uh, her? Me and Larry went to see that for that you know J.J. Abrams Star Trek, yeah. and I knew he was going to have problems with a lot of it. And he's I kept to, saying this must be a parallel universe yeah, or I, something. And well, he kept asking, and I finally said, "He said, well, how could this? How come Spock's this, and how come the ship's this?" And I kept saying. <laughs> Uh, alternate reality, alternate reality, and he didn't have nothing to say to that. Because I'd already watched Fringe, and I knew about J.J. Abrams. He lives in a different world altogether. Yeah, wonderful world, but yeah. it's a different world. Right. He's like the modern day version of uh, Rod Serling. He is. He, he really, really is. is on steroids. Yeah, and Rod Serling was like that. He worked nonstop. Oh yeah, you I know? mean it's incredible. But um, anyway, getting back to where we were, you you started watching Star Trek after it had hit all of these so independent in, UHF stations. And it's in syndication now. Yeah, it was in syndication. And I remember... Now, that's funny right there, because usually syndication, they want you to have 100 episodes. And yeah, Star and Trek didn't Star have Trek that. was the first one, I think, to ever actually only have 78 episodes. Yeah. It was 79 if you only count the two-parter. Yeah. Uh, but it was truly 78 if you want to count that one two-parter as a one-episode yeah. thing. But I think officially they count as 79. Yeah, they do but now. that's not usually what syndication goes that's for. That's not big enough. I'll tell you the one that really had a hard time ever getting into reruns was The Outer Limits, 49 episodes. Uh, that is just not enough to, yeah. but they did it. They finally did do it, but uh, Star Trek was. Yeah, you think, you know, they probably find other shows that are shorter and then make it work. Yeah. Well, anyway, and, I and remember. That's just because it's a perfect way to air shows and it works for the season or whatever mm -hmm. is why they like that number. Well, I got all of my antenna problems and my TV <laughs> working, and I had two sets to watch it on, Grandma or at home, and I watched it, uh, and then they took it off. Uh, and, uh, I graduated. Now, wait, now, now, let's go back a little further, though. Season two, after, after season two, they were going to cancel it. Yes, it was going to get canceled, but see, the thing is, now you got to remember, I lived in Glenesty, Ohio just east of cincinnati this is the dark ages 
You didn't know all these things we now know about that went on behind the scenes about the letter writing campaigns and all these things. NBC would just come on and say, it's been renewed for another season. And you're like excited. Wow, that's great. But you didn't know that all the stuff that just happened that caused it to get renewed. Right, right. And we only found out about that during the 70s, believe it or not. Yeah. And, and, but what uh, happened was, yeah, this big campaign right in, and they said, okay, fine, we'll put it on one more season. Yep. <laughs> and so what happened was we managed to pull Star Trek off for not only two seasons, but three. Many episodes were really, and then there were lots of superb ones. Which yes. I still remember today. And Very and the good. people who worked in Star Trek will even be just like I am. Some of them were really duds. Yeah. But that's true of any good series. Sure it is. Yeah. And so what do I do but graduate on June the 1st, 1969 from Glen Estee High School. I'd gone through a school where every school I'd gone to was brand new when I started there. And so Glen Estee had just finished its first graduating class that had gone all the way from junior high when we got out of junior high and gone into, uh, you know, all the way into high school. And so on June the 1st, I graduate. On June the 3rd, Star Trek gets canceled. Now, of course, I didn't know that. No, I told you. you, Yeah, right. I'm in the dark ages where you don't hear about it until it's over and then some. Right. So I sat back that whole summer and (laughs) I I had my first job working in radio TV repair and I'd come home every week. And you're like, life is finally getting good. It's getting good. (laughs) I'm enjoying this. I'm still watching it in black and white, but I got my TV. I got my antenna. I'm fixed. I got my job. Yeah, I'm having a good time here. I don't have to worry about school anymore. And by the way, Star Trek got canceled, and in only a couple of months, we went to the moon. Yeah, that's true. To the moon, Alice, to the moon. to the moon. And that's what I think, more than anything else, turned the attitudes around for the way people in general related that didn't even know what Star Trek was, but they'd always put it down up to then, and all of a sudden, after it's dead and gone... It's all right. Yeah. But here's more, as the commercials say. <laughs> I was working, and I, I completed my job in radio TV repair, because this place had hired you for like a year. And then you just kind of had to go find yourself another job, because that's just what they, that's what just, that's just what they did. Or, Plus, yeah. they didn't want to give you any health insurance or any of that kind right. of stuff. So, you, yeah. so anyhow, I'm like on a different job. And it really sucked, too. Uh, it was a, one of those kind, I just didn't like it at all. Yeah. And But I was doing it. And one day, I came home at 5 o'clock, and I was still living at home, and my mom and dad, my dad would get home a little later than I did, and my mom and I, we, we sat down, and we were going to have some early dinner or something, and I turned the TV on. It's the same TV. Yeah. It's in a different place now. This right. is down in my radio station. I mean, back in those days, you get a TV, and it's like you had that TV for a, a big part of your life. I still have that TV. Well, I mean, I, I'm talking, yeah. it, you're watching yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I can still watch it now. <laughs> I guess you could. <laughs> yeah, if you really That's wanted to. a different story altogether. Yeah. But we can do that for nostalgia one night. <laughs> but anyway, I sat down, and all of a sudden, Channel 5, the very same station that had figured every kind of way they could to, to, to preempt it, take it off, not show it. There's another story about Spock and color. Remember me telling you about? Yes, it? We got to talk about that funny. in a minute. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that's talking about color. So we'll, we, yeah. we're not quite there yet. <laughs> anyway, 
they said, Star Trek premiering tomorrow night on Channel 5. And I thought, what time? And I missed it. And my mom says, I didn't hear it either. And I said, well, maybe they'll say it again after a while. So sure enough, just a little while later, they said, Star Trek tomorrow night at 5. Okay. Now, this is the beginning, really, when you get right down to it, of Star Trek. Yeah. Not when it was on NBC. Right. Not with all this crazy nonsense that was going on. Full three seasons of are in the can. Right. And all of a sudden, here comes what they call syndicated reruns. Now, in this particular case, it began on the very same channel that had treated it with disrespect almost as long as it had been on the air, but it was going to be in a different time slot right before the local news. Right. And all of a sudden, kids coming home from school would sit down and see it. Mom and dad would actually not be so tired that they were... <laughs> and they would see it. And all of a sudden, Star Trek was in its perfect time slot. And not only that, it wasn't on once a week. It was on every single night, right, Monday got, through Friday. Yeah, Star Trek five days a week. Now, remember me and my antenna? Yeah. I could watch Star Trek back to back. <laughs> because not only did Channel 5 play it at 5 o'clock, yeah. but 22 who didn't have news... Played it at 6 o'clock, and so, it was two different episodes. Two different episodes. Wow. And Lost in Space. Yeah. Now, Lost in Space was on um, only on 22. They didn't carry it on uh, so, here in Cincinnati, but so later on they did. They life finally, is good again. Life is promising. <laughs> uh, by this time, I'm not convinced anything is going to last because I've been through an awful lot already. Uh. But anyway, that got me from there to 1974 when I got my color set, and they're still running it in reruns. And by this time, uh, in 1967 going into 68, we had our first UHF TV channel installed here in Cincinnati, WXIX TV Channel 19. And um, we also had, um, what else did we have? 64 came a number of years later, but it also was another independent, which... I liked that channel a lot when I was You grew up, up with it because it was yeah. brand new. You were just a little little guy. Yeah. And it already was there. For me, uh, it was a long time in coming, and uh, it went through so many stories. I mean, we, we could tell a bunch of stories about that all to itself that would have nothing to do with Star Trek, but a very uh, weird kind of a beginning <laughs> but um anyway 19 came along and so we now had a station that channel 5 actually gave up star trek after it had run for several years in that five o'clock slot and 19's now starting to pick up all these syndicated reruns it was almost like never missing a heartbeat it just yeah. moved from one channel to the other and it actually was better on 19 than it had been on five so it went on for years and years and years until finally, there was all this talk during the 70s about more episodes that were going to come along. As it turned out, there were two things that were going to happen. One, You're, you're talking about new episodes. We were going to have the phase two. Two, yeah. yeah. And I'd seen a lot of the scripts and stuff in Starlog magazine, which right. was the only science fiction magazine at that point that was really talking about all this stuff. And one of the things they announced was that Star Trek was going to be, a, as they called it in those days, a cartoon. And I'm like, huh? 
yeah and yeah. And, uh, and they said it's going to be on nbc and uh, oh lord have mercy star trek the animated back on series. nbc again the network that kicked it all over the yeah. place back in the day and but you know what it was a great series which of course most people know now it is it's good page, it's animated yeah, animated series with the good. original cast doing all it's the voices got a sequel to the trouble with tribbles doesn't it yes not? it does yeah and henry mudd oh yeah harry yeah. mudd or harry harry mudd, mudd. He and his women. And that's a pretty good episode, too. <laughs> yes. And I used to actually... Henry by this, he, he, <laughs> I did this the other night with somebody. I got the name wrong. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but anyway, this network, uh, NBC, that had treated Star Trek with such both respect and disrespect, because we never got into the caged part. We got to right. go back to that yeah. yet. Yeah, that's um, next here. I'd heard about this uh, animated version, and I thought, well, I'm going to... What time's that going to be on? Well, it was a good time on Saturday morning. It wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. Even when I was going someplace, I could almost always catch it. By this time, I had a second reel-to-reel machine, which was real good. It was a seven-inch reel-to-reel. And I'm recording these. I have Star Trek, the animated series, still to this day, on reel-to-reels. When I used to get up. And it's full episodes, Full right? episodes. Yeah. I recorded them off the air. And um, that's how I, uh, you know, I'd see it, of course, but then I'd play them all the time. Now, did you know that Star Trek, the animated series has since been remastered as well? I thought so, because I'm seeing it on H&I and it's in yeah. stereo. And you know what's funny is I have the, um, uh, I have it on DVD before it was remastered. And there's a couple episodes, you know, Spock had real black hair and there'll be um dust on his hair yes i've and it seen moves that. and it yes. looks like he's got lice yeah <laughs> what a bad case so uh, i might want to get those remastered that dandruff in the vulcans is a real bad thing <laughs> well <laughs> paul we, never had um, that problem you want let's get into the cage now we'll do yeah, that. The, the cage that's an interesting story all to itself as we mentioned earlier on uh, i think we mentioned earlier that star trek originally uh, had well it had two pilots the first pilot was called the cage and the second one was where no man has gone before now the cage the pilot one it did not air no it never aired but it eventually became incorporated at, that time. at least partially incorporated into what is known as the menagerie parts one and two and that's the one with the telosians that have the big bulbous heads with the veins that pulse. Yeah, and it was completed in, the cage was completed in 1965. Right. But it didn't broadcast until 1988. Uh, yeah, as far as being available. Well, actually it was on, um, they did release it on videotape back in the 80s. Oh, wow. About, okay. I think you're right about the date, though. That's pretty yeah. close. Because uh, I got it. And, and it was, it was um, written by Gene Roddenberry. Directed by Robert Butler, which I don't know much about him, and was rejected by NBC. Yes, and the reason NBC rejected it was once they sat down and watched it, they said, well, this is way too intelligent for the viewing audience. They're not going to understand it. And Gene Roddenberry's very disappointed because... Now, he, he was a um, police officer, right? And yeah, retired. and he wrote for uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, yeah. and a bunch of other, the lieutenant. So he retired from police, being a police officer and went into this writing. Yes. And As a matter of fact, the way he got um, Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig was through the lieutenant. When he wrote for that show, he had... Okay. He had met these guy, this this gallon guy, yeah. and of course he didn't get Chekhov right away, but he right. did get Lieutenant Uhura right away. Yeah. And uh, Nichelle was a singer, 
And she didn't really have aspirations to be an actress at all. And was going to quit. And was going to quit. And if it hadn't been for Martin Luther King, she would have quit. Yeah. I mean, that's a story to itself. I won't even go into that. This is all in Star Trek memories. Yes. And we could talk at great great length about that because she does. Now she's talked about it a lot. Yes, she has. We knew about it a long time before she ever. It pretty much comes up about once a year. Yes. (laughs) Around the time of Star Trek's birthday each year. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, getting back to the cage. They shot this uh, in color and had um, didn't have uh, William Jeff, Shatner yet. No, didn't have William Shatner, had Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter as and Christopher Pike, Captain Pike. Captain Pike, who now is actually a character back again in the series of movies because... And it, yeah, uh, and it had Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Yes, as Spock. And, and his eyebrows were almost vertical and in those And who days. was number one? Number one was... Um, Majel Barrett, who was Gene Roddenberry's wife, and she was supposed to have the Spock character. Uh, Mr. Spock was not supposed to be as non-emotional. He he was actually quite excitable in that Cage episode. He's uh, screaming out commands like you do on a submarine. Yeah, he was showing and, a lot of emotions. Yeah, it was very excitable and um, wanting them to fire on people and do stuff, you know, yeah. that normally a Vulcan would not do today, you know. <laughs> and Majel Barrett, on the other hand, was a very cool and emotionless female who sat at the same place that Chekhov eventually did. Uh, Sulu was there. I believe he was there. When, am I right? No, I don't think so. Uh, not no, he not went, in the cage. No, he wasn't in the cage. Yeah. That's right, he wasn't. They had a couple of people there you didn't ever see again. Right. Um, in fact, the ship looked different, but very similar. The screen was much smaller. I think they eventually uh, used that same set that they used for uh, the same screen, I should say, that they used on the cage. Remember, there was a backup bridge on the Enterprise. Yeah. What did they call it? I can't think what it's called. But anyway, it's when when something devastating would happen to the main bridge, they could go there and still operate the saucer section of the ship. I can't think. uh, There's a. Something control. <laughs> My brain. But anyway, that Jeffrey Hunter, when they come to say, okay, we ordered a second pilot, he declined. Yeah, he wanted to do more stuff in movies. Right, which he did. And he also, in the meantime, had fallen, and I don't know all the details of that. I have a magazine that tells everything about it, but he had fallen and hurt his back. He got ill, and then he fell, and which I think the illness caused him to fall. I think you're right about that, yeah. yeah. Plus, his wife was also interfering uh she was um she had something to do with his career the direction it was going yeah, it's in. like she kind of managed him i think she kind of did i yeah. think and she was really just not cooperating with gene roddenberry or anybody she wanted him to have all kinds of days off and yeah so all when, this stuff so when he said i wasn't i'm I, i'm declining it might have been a hey that's great it's mutual gene roddenberry had seen the nuremberg trials and he had also seen William Shatner in a few Westerns and other things that had preceded Star Trek, and he liked him. And he had asked a few other people about him, and they all had good things to say about him, too. And so he approached him. And it's probably one of the smartest things, along with a whole bunch of other smart things he ever did in his life, because William Shatner just made a perfect Captain Kirk. Yes. We've had some other good captains in Star Trek, but... I, my two favorite ones are Janeway and Kirk. Janeway is very much like Captain Kirk. Yes, she is. And although there were many people who were 
biased gender wise with that series when it first came out that never bothered me at well, all i was a little bit like i don't know about this wait a minute and um and then it was like when you watch it you realize she is captain kirk she surely is and the thing i love about uh kate mulgrew she does not make a good um Columbo, Mrs. No, Columbo. Mrs. Columbo, which is but that's that, not her fault. That's another story too. <laughs> no, she could have been very good at that as well. That wasn't her fault. I think that Kate Mulgrew is. <laughs> she looks like a '40s. She looks like a 1940s yes. actress, a yeah. beautiful actress. Yes, of that period. Yeah, she really does. But she can play that tough. Oh you know. boy, can and and she's also gentle and very yeah. caring she and can very do both. Yeah. And that was William Shatner too. Yeah, they both had that kind of. And another thing about both of those shows is that they were pioneers because they were both on a journey out there where no one had gone before and they were kind of on their own. Yeah. See, Voyager could have been more like Next Generation where they were kind of like just redoing stuff in space that had already been done and dealing with alien races right. they were familiar with to a certain extent. I always thought of Next Generation as being like a political show mm -hmm. because captain picard was always trying to solve some political problem it seemed yeah, like of some that's sort. True. yeah and they also were very strict militarily like right whereas with voyager if they had that in place to begin with it kind of got tossed out once they got uh, when the caretaker kind of thrust them out into space and yeah it was kind of like <laughs> we just got to get back home yeah now it's <laughs> seventy thousand light years back and so it's like but you know what she always towed the to mark about uh the uh non-interference directive and and all that you right. know everything that starfleet had put in place she never let because uh, chakotay tried to drag her off the path a couple yeah. of times but he was good too yeah but she would break it break some of those you know laws, every now and again just like kirk yep in order to get home they yeah, had to or, you know save a crew member or and something. archer's done it in enterprise too archer he um he's done a lot of things <laughs> he really was uh, he was really laid back and really pushed back and then finally it was like he dealt with um was it the borg he dealt with the borg and was like became captain kirk all of a sudden yeah actually he, he didn't deal with the borg he dealt with the zindi zindi yeah okay, was but they were kind of like the borg, borg like yeah, yeah they were they were the borg of that series you yeah. might say well, isn't that included in the borg collection uh i thought it was which one the zindi one yeah you know they got the dvd collections and they got it's the, possible i can't remember I anymore was. how that works yeah. but um have we gotten off the path too yes, far? Yes, we have. I, where do we? Where, oh, I lost track well, of where we were. Okay, we we're talking about the cage. <laughs> oh yeah, we got to go back to that. And, and you have a personal story about the cage. Yes, as a matter of fact, and it's the one that so, I don't think a lot of people have ever experienced or even remember. But um, I remember my mom saying something to me. As much as my mom wasn't all that interested in Star Trek, she certainly knew that I liked it, and and she'd watched it, and my dad and too and she she was always reading the paper yeah i said my dad didn't my mom Your did, mom did. <laughs> until why. until the print became so that she was allergic to it and then she couldn't read it anymore remember oh, when they changed the print a bunch of years ago yeah she was actually allergic to it and she couldn't read the paper anymore because uh the print was actually causing her to break out but anyway she got a lot of years out of the old newspaper and one of the good things she found out about it in there one day was hey she said you never go to any sporting events or anything downtown, so you probably don't even know how to find this place. 
<laughs> she was kind of right, but I did. Because uh, Trisha and I went, and also a couple guys that I worked with at Newtone. I worked at Newtone for many years, and we were all electronics troubleshooters. They also were Star Trek fans. And so we all kind of found out about this at the same time. At Riverfront Coliseum, here came Gene Roddenberry and um, Scotty. Uh, James Doohan. <laughs> James Doohan. I suddenly went blank on his name. Now, Jimmy Doohan didn't have very much to say that night. He just kind of got up and said, Howdy. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Where, where's my paycheck? <laughs> where's my paycheck? But he made his presence. He's kind of a spectator, too, in a way, wasn't he? It, well, he kind of was even in the show. Yeah. Because everybody That's thinks Scotty was in the show a lot, and he really wasn't in the show. He no. was always in the background, solving problems. And you heard and, his voice more than yeah, anything. And his voice was used in so many different ways, because that's why they hired him in the first place. <laughs> his accents and his ability to do alien voices and yeah. all that. Many of the voices that you heard uh, when you were looking at somebody on the viewing screen, that was Scotty. Yeah, that's something, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. But anyway, getting back to Riverfront Coliseum, which does it exist anymore? Um, I don't. That's it was next to the Riverfront Stadium, yeah. which also doesn't exist yeah, anymore. Yeah, they changed all that. I don't know what's downtown. I never go there anymore. That seems strange, but that's true. I'll be honest with you. I don't have any reason to go down there, it, so I don't go down there. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. <laughs> but anyway, I got to go to Riverfront Coliseum. I got to see Gene Roddenberry. He's everything that you've ever seen in any of the videos where he's done interviews. He's just a very gentlemanly guy. And um, he got up and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank all of you for being here tonight. He says, and all the support you've given Star Trek through the years. He said, uh, we have a lot of stuff out in the uh, outer areas that you can purchase because they had a lot of posters and things. And in those days, you couldn't order them from anywhere else. Uh, Starlog Magazine was probably one of the first places you could get a lot of the paraphernalia that we take for granted today. Um, miniatures like my little communicator here and the tricorders and all that kind of stuff, they hadn't even come into existence yet. But there were lots of posters and things. So he told us all about that stuff. And I did get a full-length picture or poster, and I'm talking full-length. This thing would take up an entire door of, wow. of uh, Spock <laughs> on the transporter. Ooh. And it's still rolled up and down in the basement. I haven't had it out in years. But anyway, what... What he brought there that night, he says, a lot of you have been clamoring for a long time because you knew of the existence of a piece of footage called the cage, which was the original pilot that no one has ever seen on television, but they've seen part of it in the uh, two-parter called uh, the Menagerie Parts 1 and 2. So he says, you know about the Telosians, you know of the story of Captain Pike, and you know of the story of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock bringing Captain Pike together with the Telosians in that episode. But he says, what you don't know is where that footage originally came from. He said, to be honest with you, I've been looking for this footage for years. And he says, Desilu said they don't have it anymore. Now, we're still talking Desilu in these days. This is about 1970, I think it was 76 or 77 when they had this. We called it a concert in those days. Yeah. I don't know why they called it that, but I guess that's what we mostly had in the Riverfront Coliseum was concerts. So it was referred to as a Gene Roddenberry concert. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't sing, but um, he did bring a movie, or shall I say he brought a TV show. 
he brought the entire cage, which was a full hour. Wow. And this was, of course, the footage that you did see in the menagerie, as well as the footage that you didn't see. Right, and that's a two-part episode, and it's the only one of the series. Right. Only two-part. Now, did you, um, you had already seen that, of course, by then. Oh, I'd seen the menagerie many times. Did you know about the cage? I knew about it. I'd read about it, and it had always been alluded to the fact that that somewhere they thought they still had footage of it, but nobody seemed to know where it was. (laughs) And finally, he comes that night, and he says, I'm going to be honest and upfront with everybody here. Don't expect quality here. He says, this was dragged out of a garbage can. Can you believe that? They found it at Desilu somewhere. Now, of course, there were other copies that no one ever knew about. That's where all these remastered versions have come from since. But at that time, that's as much as they had and as much as anybody knew about. And why no one at Desilu or what eventually became Paramount, why this thing was so lost, I have no idea. Do you remember if it tells us on the remastered extras of the Star Trek, the original series, on the DVDs or Blu-ray, does it tell us where they found this... The newer, the better quality. You know, in some of those interviews, it might be in there. I can't remember. I can't remember. We haven't watched any of those for a long time. We need to do that. We will. Um, We'll have to do that. But what he said that night, and who ought to know better than the guy who created the show in the first place, but he was out of the loop, too. Right. I mean, he it's like, hey, I found I found out that this existed only about a year ago. And he says, and when we were talking about doing a literally a visit with our viewers, you know, the people who've made Star Trek what it was, this thing basically was to thank everybody more than anything else. Right. uh, For being, you know, followers of the show. They hadn't actually gotten into all these um, conventions yet. They they. There'd been a few, yeah. but it, it didn't. Ha- it hadn't gotten to the point where it is today, or or has been over the uh, more recent years. Uh, conventions for Star Trek, uh, they actually preceded the conventions that Star Wars had because Star Trek actually preceded Star Wars. But the truth is, I don't think any of those conventions really took off like they eventually did until Star Wars came along. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, and of course, yeah. all the little miniatures and things that we take for granted, like uh, the figures that we put in our right. showcases and everything, and none of that happened with Star Trek. And the uh, people wanted it. They were kept They kept asking them for it, but they'd like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Well, we can't give you a tricorder. We can't give you a yeah. communicator. We can't give you a miniature of William Shatner. And they had those, like, helmets that they advertised Star Trek for kids. Yeah. And that was never in the series. It never looked anything like what they, they had. They just stick Star Trek on the, somewhere on and there. And people would buy it. Yeah. And so there's where we were at this point in time with with Gene Roddenberry, the great bird of the galaxy, as they refer to him. And he was looking pretty good in those days still. Yeah. A bit overweight, but he, he was still pretty healthy. But things really went sour for him in the 80s and, and early 90s. And uh, But he, he was kicking around. And he was still making sure that everything he had ever written about the Bible for Star Trek was right, being you know, followed, followed to the letter, and so, so he, he plays this, and everybody watches yeah. it. You talk about <laughs> silence. Yeah, the first thing you hear is a whole lot of film noise. You know how? Yeah, this is like when we were in grade school in the '60s, and the teacher would go and get a film and put it in a projector. And it would make all this funny noise yeah. and everything. Except at the for beginning. in this case, everyone's really excited about 
Yeah, and it see. believe it or not, it even had the countdown. You know how the yeah the nine blip. eight seven yeah, six five those four, little film and, blips and then pluses and minuses <laughs> and <laughs> noise and everything. And that's exactly what this was like when we were in this great big public place watching this film of Star Trek: The Cage that has been lost all these years in a garbage can. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and everybody is spellbound. I mean, and the audio comes on, and it's just really muffled and distorted, and but we recognized it, right? Because the music was familiar, and so we see the whole thing, and then it's like a standing ovation at the end, and uh, Gene Roddenberry gets up and he says, "Well, he says the quality's not very good, but I'm sure glad I was able to bring it to you because he said." be honest with you i didn't even know it existed i've been looking for this for years and nobody seemed to know where it was you know i swear don't i still don't to this day know who found it or where and we were talking about that before i think that somewhere you mentioned yourself that uh, it might be in the extras from one of the first releases on dvd of the original star trek yes i'm not sure and but i believe it, it they talk about it i don't i know that because i know that the first batch and then the next gen or not next generation but the remasters actually have a lot of different extras remember it shows that footage of them and they're looking they're searching and they're um they got a flashlight yeah yeah that's where i think they talk about that it could very well be because they use that as kind of like we're looking for it yeah it's really cool <laughs> using star trek footage anyway we were also talking about uh, the fact that um that jeremy really got spoiled <laughs> in the 80s in the mid 80s when i'm watching it i didn't realize this until just a few minutes ago um when I was watching Star Trek in the syndicated reruns for many years, uh, we were watching 16 millimeter syndicated reruns, which the local stations would then slice and dice repeatedly for different amounts of commercial time. And then they would sometimes add scenes back that they had put away on a shelf somewhere. And pretty soon these films were so butchered, they'd almost look as bad as the cage that we had watched that day and, that had come out of the garbage can. And were can. they shipping these these reels around no that was that, not that was later they actually did that later with the cartoons okay and then it got to the point where they were doing that with a lot of the syndicated rerun situation comedies like three's company and they stuff would like ship that. these reels around to these different stations to play them and and they're getting shipped around you can imagine <laughs> how great that was and each for one them. of them was doing their own editing of them yeah too. <laughs> and then you'd you'd be watching them and they just look everything would be blown out every time that a All would edit stuff out they'd have to run it off on little reels and put it in a, a vault and store it until they were finished with their run of it and then they have to put these pieces back in oh my god and ship it off to the next station if uh, now some of them were actually allowed to keep these for a while yeah then there were other shows that were daily yeah, because they got to pay for all this. Yeah. It's all wheeling and dealing there. <clears throat> but Star Trek was never really done that way. And what I was getting at with uh, Jeremy being very spoiled with his actual viewing of, the, of Star Trek, because he was so much younger than me, and he got a chance to actually see it when, as I was saying a few moments ago, I worked in a video nightclub in 1983. And... 
MTV hadn't even come into most people's homes at this point in time. And so we had laser discs and beta hi-fi machines and everything. And we were playing Boy George and all this stuff, you yeah. know. <laughs> and Madonna hadn't even come about yet, if you can believe that. I mean, she right. was almost there. But anyway, uh, they had a little Christmas party after I'd been there for a few months. These people were already there when I got there that day. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was a bunch of the crew from WXIX-TV Channel 19. And they kept hearing my voice, and they also were quite impressed with what was being shown up on the screen. And so finally, the guy, one of the guys came up because he was actually going to ball me out because <laughs> he thought I was one of their radio station announcers that they'd hired for Channel 19 to do voiceovers who never shows up. He's going to come over. How come you never show up? He said he's going to come over and give me a hard time because I'm moonlighting and not coming over to the station to do my job. <laughs> he thought I was that guy and I wasn't yeah. that guy. So then he wants and to he's see. Going, probably because your voice, right? He's he recognized it right yeah. away. He said, you sound just exactly like our voiceover guy. And he said, I thought, you were he. He's very impressed with this equipment and everything, and he wants to know if he can come back and look at it. And I told him I wasn't really allowed to have anybody back there. And so he reaches into his pocket, pulls out his wallet, opens it up, and flashes me a first-class broadcast license. And he says, will this get me back there? And I said, that ought to do it. <laughs> so we got acquainted from that point on, and he then began to ask me to come over and work at the station in the middle of the night uh from time to time because he's having a lot of trouble with these college students they were bringing in uh they weren't really attending the station as they were supposed to <laughs> they were watching football games and baseball games on other channels and not really watching what they were running on the air so he would have me come over yeah he'd have <laughs> me come over and spend the uh the whole night you know to late. and then those days we used to actually sign the station off uh, about two or three o'clock in the morning, not every night, but um, two or three nights a week, usually the engineering crew would actually do maintenance, which is what they should still be doing. Now, is this, uh, sorry to interrupt, but is this when you actually ran some of the Twilight Zone and things yes, like that? Yes, we were talking about that earlier. So th this means that me and my dad were watching those. Probably were. <laughs> well, and, I know we were. And they were on film. <laughs> yeah. They actually ran them on film. And I remembered, because before I even started going over there, I always noticed that the audio would get better right after the ding, 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 ding. All of a sudden, it would get real bright and clean. Yeah. And I found out immediately after being there, and he's training me, there, the, these guys, because he was the chief engineer, and they had actually upgraded this whole studio. In fact, he was the one that was responsible for the way it was built. This is the control room. Yeah. And there was this one little switch, and it actually was labeled the Twilight Zone. Oh. And <laughs> any program like the Honeymooners, the Twilight Zone, or any of those old shows that had kind of a flat quality. Yeah. He'd had a, he put an EQ, um, it wasn't an equalizer, it was actually a little circuit like I build. Okay. Uh, that actually brightened up the audio. That's neat. And they just flipped that switch. And every once in a while, I could tell when I was back home that they had somebody riding the board that hadn't been told about that. And an episode would come up and it'd be all, mm, you know. <laughs> and, and of course, what I was getting to, how what I was leading up to with this whole story was the fact that Jeremy was spoiled, as I said, watching Star Trek because this is at about the time 
that this gentleman told me, he says, oh, you're going to be really excited. You better get yourself your beta hi-fi machine that you've been talking about getting. A lot of the audience out there don't know what a beta hi-fi machine is, but I won't go into all that. But Sony had a really good yeah, quality. I'll, I'll put something on the website about yeah, it. Yeah, videotape machine. People would go on about how they were no good, and it was the VHS that was so great, and the VHS really did. It was it was horrible. The audio yeah. was cor- yeah. Well, the VHS was uh, more price friendly. Is what it was. It's what it was. <laughs> plus the fact that it did do a good job yeah. in uh, pre-recorded tapes that you wanted yeah. to rent, and, and Betas had, didn't even have anything. But you had to spend you know about seven eight hundred dollars to get a decent VHS player. And yeah, and it. and mine were fifteen hundred dollars a piece. My Beta machines. Yeah. I to got give you two. an idea of the quality. That was what you would call prosumer. Yes. So this guy, he was even impressed by the fact that, hey, in the future, you're talking about buying a beta machine. So he knew that, you know, I was just like cutting edge quality. If I was going to, I didn't have anything or I had it right, one or the other. Right. And he already liked my work there where I was. And he says, well, you're going to love Star Trek. Because he already knew I'd been talking to him about Star Trek because I'd been watching it on 19 for years. And uh, he says, well, you just wait until we get these this fall. You're going to really love it. He says, you're going to want to have that machine fired up and ready. And he was right, because when they got these new copies, they were uncut. They were original, like NBC had run them. This is the first time since it went off the air that they were going to run them. They had a female program director at the station at that time. I never met her, but I have a sneaking suspicion and Jeremy and I have talked about this a lot, that she may still be around, and I see her kind of work showing up on MeTV. Mm-hmm. I have a sneaking suspicion she works with MeTV. It's funny how you'll see signature things that people yeah. do. It's almost like an artist. Yeah, you'll hear like you'll hear a certain album come out, and you'll say, there's something familiar about that. And then you'll find out that another artist uh-huh. helped them. Yeah. They... They helped them with it uncredited, and you're like, that's that's the sound. That's who it is. This woman was a stickler for trying to give you the program exactly the way you remembered it the first time you saw it, even at the expense of cutting out commercials. <gasps> Good God <laughs> Almighty, can we do that? Gasp. I mean, she was like... You can't do that. I wish I had met her. I really do. I never had that opportunity. In fact, no one met me at Channel 19. In fact, Jeremy and I have a funny story about that. That'll be something we'll tell another <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, that's but, uh, funny. But it, it was funny because I'd just be over there occasionally. Yeah. But I learned so much about the place. And he told me, he says, you got to get that machine, get it up and ready. Well, he was right. And when they started running them on the air, I had not seen Star Trek like that in my whole life. Now, listen, I have a question right here. Uh-huh. If... Had he not told you that, would I have noticed? Would you it? have got that machine in time? Probably not in time. I was really kind of dragging my feet about it a little bit. This did hurry me up a bit, but my, I had already kind of planned because I was going to Alamo Electronics, which yes. is out here in Montgomery, right. uh, Kenwood area. Yeah, high and, end, high end audio video equipment. Exactly, and um, the guy out there got to the so point, again. He knew Star me. Trek has influenced you here. Yes, it's funny how <laughs> Star Trek has had so many. If it didn't already have an influence on me, it pushed me forward to do something that i would have dragged my feet about yeah. otherwise i mean it caused me to go to color tv yeah. well you know eventually <laughs> um that happened with me with video games 
I mean, I'd upgrade TV and uh-huh. sound and all that because of this new system. I'm going to uh-huh. get this new system. Uh-huh. It wouldn't be new by the time I bought it. It'd be out for a year or two well, or three. You were but- smart enough, as I have always been, to let the early adopters put up with all the inconveniences. All the bugs and all that stuff. We're having the same yeah. thing right here in our community. Uh, first of all, I don't even have the internet at all. <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, people wonder you have how, it you have it right now how the hell do i live without the internet i brought say. mine with me but we have fiber <laughs> optics that have just been installed on our street Ooh. believe it or not this is another funny thing connecting with star trek guess what day they <laughs> guess what day they actually put in our fiber on this street what day september the 8th last year oh wow exactly 50 was it exactly 50 years? No, it wasn't exactly 50 years for Star Trek, but it was... Close. It was on the date yeah. that it originally came on the air. Right. And I thought that was funny. They that were out is here, funny. Out here laying the fiber cable on our street in front of the house. And they use that all the time in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> well, most of it came from UFOs anyway. Right. Oh, which will... Oh, yeah. That's another story altogether. Yeah. Um, and that's a true story. That's not one we're making up. <laughs> um, do, you, do you have proof? Um, well, uh, Major Corso did. <laughs> he had a whole drawer full of it. They called it glass straw. I love. But by anyway, the way, I love um, fiber optics for sound for audio. Oh yeah, and believe it or not, I'm Big actually difference. using it on a CD player for the first time upstairs, and it really sounds it's great. so clear. The circuit that was in it was analog, and I've never had trouble with an analog so, circuit, uh, but that one was distorting. Uh, thanks, aliens. The aliens have done so many great things for us. We wouldn't have smartphones if it weren't for the aliens and Star Trek. Those two things have influenced our, our, our world. The aliens are mostly responsible for the uh, moving forward that we've done in the past uh, 10, 15, 20 and years. And then what the alien, and to come full circle, the aliens are like, we give them all this technology. All they do is porn and sports. Yeah. And just talk about <laughs> stupid stuff. <laughs> okay. So um, so I got spoiled. I got to watch those Star Trek. Yeah, you were getting a good little, opportunity. Little did I know. You know what you really did? You watched NBC without NBC, and you watched a better version of it at a clearer time with better equipment. Yeah. Than you would have if you'd have watched it in the first place. And my dad actually... get to see it every night. He did get a nice forehead VCR and got the nice tapes, and we would record a lot of that. Believe it or not, there were VHS machines that did a good job, but like Jeremy said, you had to spend an awful lot of money. And you know what he did? He would pause during the commercials. Uh He would edit on real time. And so we'd be watching these shows later, commercial free. That's what I did with all my betas. And that was the reason I went with beta, because you could do such excellent. Uh, that was like one of my jobs, kind of, in a way. It, yeah. When he was at work, <laughs> I'm recording shows for us to watch later. <laughs> Were you getting Columbo way back then, too? We, <laughs> no, they didn't have it on the air. Columbo, when, once it was on the air, that was an event for us. Yeah, actually, 19 bought Columbo, if you remember. Uh, it was on in the daytime. And, uh, of course, we're talking about local TV here, so people who are listening outside of our area here, <laughs> for that matter, most of them don't in remember the world, even to yeah. live here now. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of people don't even know that WXIX-TV has call letters. Yeah, right. Because they call it Fox 19. Sure. You know, yeah. and... Um, That's so, what I always called it. And it was 19XIX when I was there. Yeah. And... Um, it has a history too. I mean, I could tell you all kinds of neat things about the way it started and and the stuff that I was 
watching on it you know besides right. star trek but star trek finally got the opportunity to be seen the way it should be because of the fact that a station was willing to buy at a very high price these brand new digitally processed videos that were on film right. they were running star trek on film That's fuji nice. film but they'd used a digital process to take it from wherever they were getting it from the masters and it had all been cleaned up and in its original cut form no editing wow that didn't last too many years. No, that was a special time. I think the lady that was holding down the fort, I think she left the station for one thing. because. But so at this time, when you really think about it, this is when Star Trek's really taking off. Yeah. This in a is, lot of ways. This is it. Yeah, you're right. and Because um, it's playing five nights a week. Yeah. On a good time. It looks better than it ever did. Now and, people, it's got good TV. And this is after the first movie had come out. Yeah. This is even after the second movie had come out. So you out. got Star Wars is out there, too. Exactly. And the, the first movie, of course, was um, um, 1979. And then the second one, The Wrath of Khan, was 82. And I'm talking about 83, and 84. And that was the film. About, yeah. That was The Wrath of Khan. That's where... It, yeah. And I think that had a lot to do with what these... Uh, yeah these films were all about too yeah. the, the getting I actually the i love star trek two three and four film wise oh yeah i think those are just great yeah they were and then it's almost like a trilogy they're all great but there's some of them that just kind of go off the beaten path a little bit but I just they're think still that good two and three and four i think two just raised the bar it really it did and it's still holding that bar yeah <laughs> it really and Leonard is. Nimoy um, is a good director as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Find that out. It's always funny, too, because everybody <laughs> thinks of Leonard Nimoy as being Spock, and he's very uh, non-emotional and, and has no personality. And yet some of the movies that he was responsible for are the funniest ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, he was a funny guy. Spock was very funny, too, actually, <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a way. Yeah, in a twist. <laughs> when he and Dr. McCoy were <laughs> together. Oh, God. Now, did I talk? Now, we did I list? Um, I guess I'm I should be answering my own question. You're the here. director, um, yeah. I'm the director, I shouldn't be admitting that. We're both oh, okay. Now, I want here's what I wanted to go into next is some some favorite Star Trek episodes, yeah. Well, like I said, the um, the episode uh, Corbomite Maneuver that's great was like one of the very first that I remember seeing, yeah. and I enjoyed that one, and I was going to make mention of the fact that the the puppet which was Baylock's alter ego yeah is what you see at the beginning you think that it's a mean ugly alien and it's going <laughs> and he's giving them all these demands and everything that was one scary dude on the old yeah, screen especially when you're <clears> a kid yeah and i loved that and of course they did such a good job on that particular episode anyway and then uh like you said a little while ago miri was Mary, an excellent episode great. um that was fun because you had the the kids in there and uh Mary herself was a child and um it was just a neat episode and that was also the last one most people don't know this and took in fact it took me a long time to realize that Yeoman Rand was in well Grace Lee Whitney was in the last episode of Mary and uh that was it uh, she never was in any more and most people think she was in a lot more episodes than she was but uh, she wasn't she had a lot of problems uh and you can hear william shatner talk about that in the star trek memories which uh 
Jeremy will give you leads to, so you can listen to it too sometime. But anyway, she did uh, attend a lot of their conventions during the 70s and 80s, and then appeared in the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture. And she's been in a bunch of the other ones too, and I couldn't tell you which ones. You'll just all of a sudden yeah. see her, you know. Right. And um, her whole life really turned around and became much better. And then she passed away here a couple of years ago. I believe it was on New Year's Day. You know, a lot of the Star Trek women has have passed away oh, very young. Yes, I know. We've lost more of the ladies in that show than we've lost of the gentlemen. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the loss of Leonard Nimoy came as a great surprise. Um, however, I do believe he'd been in poor health for quite a while. Um, William Shatner always said that he would retire and then forget that he had. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> he would always be back doing something again. Right. You know what the very last thing was I ever saw that he did was um, they brought the shuttle Enterprise back from California. Yeah, I watched that. To, I believe it was Washington, wasn't it? I don't remember where, but yeah, I think you're And right. he said, well, here I am again. <laughs> he said, I was here when we all got together back to uh dedicate it yeah and he says and here i am when they're bringing it back home so to speak and i never saw him anymore after that i guess he did some other stuff but that was the last time i saw him alive uh, i don't remember if he had been in any more well come to think of it i believe he might have been in fringe about that time that was great and fringe really um, would have been his last performance howard bell was it howard bell um that sounds right I think it was Howard Bell. I don't think it was Howard. Well, it was Bell. I, you know what? Yeah, I think, William Bell. Yeah, I think Howard Bell is a, a doctor. <laughs> is a doctor that I know. <laughs> that I took my well, mom yeah. to. You know, we shall give him a little bit of publicity here tonight. Hey, he's a good doctor. He's a good, real good doctor. Yeah. He's in another dimension, though. Uh, optometrist. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was William Bell. William Bell. And he was in the parallel universe on Howard Fringe. Bell. And William Bell was 100% responsible for everything that was going on in fringe yeah and he was in one of the twin towers and spoiler alert if you haven't seen fringe yet <laughs> yeah but you can't spoil fringe because there's too many things that don't make sense that if anybody gives you any leads at all you're just that's just a little tidbit that helps you along yeah that's true because i've watched that doggone thing so many times you and can I'm watch fringe stuff. two or three times in a row yeah and you want to play them in a row yeah, in order, in a row. Yeah. And you'll, you'll notice um, new things every time you watch it. Oh, yeah. I love that show. Um, the very idea of the observers and all that was just... Uh, somehow I've always felt that there are observers who have always been on the outside looking in on our world, and they know how things are going to come about and they somehow every once in a while punch through an influence to keep us from screwing our lives up even more than we're doing all by ourselves <laughs> and then they just pop back out again well they they <laughs> actually did hire actors to be the observers before fringe came out how cool is that uh, that's that's incredible they'd be at like a nascar race just watching you know and on was the there little things in their yeah, hands and, yeah <clears throat> the funny thing about the observers was that they uh, they always seemed to be using things that we had in our real world, common 
objects that were not too terribly sophisticated, but they had a much more sophisticated version of it. One yeah. of them was the little binoculars that he had. Right. I actually have a pair of those, and those things were literally out of, I don't know, they haven't been around for years. I think maybe the 60s was when they were, they're kind of a stainless steel, yeah. and they, they fold up. Right. And he actually opens it up. And then when you see what he sees through it, there's all of these opticals, like they're zeroing in, and there's all kinds of numbers and things. Yeah. And uh, it's all about and time. Your, yours didn't do that. Mine doesn't do that, no. <laughs> Mine, but, um, I've tried and tried, and they just won't do that. Getting back to Star Trek, there's Balance of Terror. My dad loved that one. Oh, yes. Um, that was an episode that even if they wanted to redo it and make it better, it couldn't be better. Yeah. Uh, the basics of the story, you would not want to screw around with the basics of that story. Right. You just want to leave it alone. If you did improve the video portion of it, you might improve the, the interior of like the Romulan ship. Yeah, things like that. And stuff like that. But other than um, that... Tomorrow's Yesterday, I, that's oh. a good one if you want to see how the remaster is. Watch the original and then the remastered or, or do it side to side. I've done it side by side. That's the one with the um, uh, fighter, fighter pilot. pilot. Yeah, yeah, I love that episode. Yeah, they really uh, added a lot on the remastered because it, it needed it. it. They got a lot of footage from NASA from for uh, stock footage. And yeah. It was very grainy and didn't fit. And then the ship flying across the sky looked like a little paper cardboard cutout <laughs> yeah. of the ship. I remember taking pictures of that off the TV yeah. with my Polaroid you know the camera. the trick where you take a magnet and you put it under a table yeah, and you that's move what something? It looked like. That's what it looks like. <laughs> but on the remastered, it looks awesome. Oh, yeah. that uh, The Enterprise is just floating through the clouds. Yeah. And it and, looks kind of crippled, too. Here's the rule on effects. You don't want the audience to think about it, whether no. it's bad or good. You yep. don't really want them to think about it. You want them to be in the story the whole time. That's what they were capable of doing with Star Trek, too. Yeah. Uh, and one of the neat things, we're really getting way ahead, but the remasters, the major thing that they did was, for the first time, they got rid of about uh, 11 or 12 stock foot footages of the enterprise going around every planet in the same direction and not very clear at that and also yeah. the the planets now were big and the enterprise was larger too but it was in perspective right and many of the planets for the first time had rings right so it it was more like a very realistic the younger generation that are watching star trek now and have only seen the remasters they're more spoiled than you were oh big time. because yeah. you know they're really getting an yeah. accurate perspective of right. what space really and some looks of them like. may have not watched it before they did that no and it if they can been, get an opportunity yeah. to see them just for fun yeah uh, it'd be quite an interest but you know it was well done even when it wasn't that good, the show was always... It was, it was very well done. It's just that you didn't realize it until you saw the remaster what they could do. Yeah, and I'm um, still seeing things in, re, in the remasters that I didn't notice no matter how many times I've watched it. This is a good standalone, but The City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, yes. I love The City on um, the Edge of Forever. It's got I, a great big story to it. We won't go into it no. now because of time, but we will revisit The City on the Edge of Forever. City on the Edge of Forever was also one that was more popular with females. It's a love story, but it's it's 
really cool though the whole thing oh yeah and um when you watch it you don't have to know anything about star trek really i am i am endeavoring (laughs) ma'am to build a mnemonic memory circuit using stone knives and bear skins (laughs) i love that it's a really good um standalone show and it takes place there's something familiar about the set isn't there larry oh yeah i would whistle it but i'm not that good (laughs) but we're looking at the street scene of mayberry north carolina from the andy griffith show when you're looking at it's supposed to be in new york yeah but you see Floyd's barber shop. Yeah. And you see uh what's his name? Elliot TV. Elliot's fix it TV shop. and radio and yeah. and uh, fix it shop. Yep. And uh you don't see the lo- you don't see the courthouse. No. But there is William Shatner and Joan Collins walking along as they're talking about going to see a movie. Yeah. And uh it's right in front of uh, the old Mayberry set, which of course was Paramount too. Right. So when, and of course on Star Trek Two, uh, not Star Trek Two, but Star Trek also, the episode. Um, now I got to think about this a moment. <laughs> my brain is dead at five thirty in the morning. <laughs> um, the uh, the episode. Um, oh, what is the name of it? Uh, anyway. Well, here's another. Here's another. Maybe you'll think of the title. Here's here's another good one: the Doomsday Machine. Oh yes, the Doomsday Machine. That one is all. Now that's the one that I was going to tell you about to go to the webisode. Okay. um, You can go right out of the Doomsday Machine. Well, there's also Mirror Mirror. Mirror Mirror. Here, Mirror Mirror Doomsday Machine. That's on my list. Yeah, they all tie together. Yeah. Um, it's um, StarTrekPhase2.com, I believe. It used to be Star Trek New Voyages, but these webisodes where they they actually they built, they went back, got the original plans for the Starship Enterprise, and they did a great job. They're actually building, adding new sets. They've uh-huh. had new sets since we've been watching it, and they film it, and they... Um, you, they use computers now, but same effects. It's basically the same process that they did in the original series, and it takes forever for them to get them out just because just because the you know the the um special effects. It, it's but it's really good. I could not believe it. Um, Jer- it's so good, Larry. That what did they do? They they actually provided that set to star enterprise. trek enterprise yes and that's where you can go into and that's this. what they used for the episode in a mirror darkly in a mirror dark when they find the defiant right it's the defiant they used the bridge from the webisodes that was for the enterprise because all those ships the constitution class they all looked alike inside yeah it's um star trek star trek enterprise season four episode 18 and 19. Uh-huh. And it's in a mirror dark. Lane. And it's in 19 where you actually see the ship. And it is such a neat episode. And you finally find out where the Defiant went and why it went. Yeah. Because the Tholians wanted it. And that was the coolest thing about Enterprise. Yeah. Those kind of stories. Yeah. You know, like they tell you how the Klingons, all about the Klingons and their the changes. That's the another changes. thing. Yes. Uh, that had to do... I'll never forget that uh, Trials and Tribulations on um, Deep Space Nine. That's a really good And there's Worf sitting there, and they're all in that scene 
where uh, Scotty and all of them are fighting. Yeah. And what they did was they took the stock footage from the original episode and they did a Forrest Gump on it. That, yeah. Because Forrest Gump was being produced, that's exactly why that episode existed. Yeah. It was because they had everything in place. Yeah. And they said, hey, let's do one on Star Trek. We, you know. Yeah, and didn't they say, can, they asked one of their guys in special effects, can we, can we do this? And he goes, I think so. And he says, here, come watch this footage. He, he goes off uh-huh. and does it. Yeah. And he brings it back to him and they're going, what's the big deal here? And he said, don't you see that person in the background there? And wasn't it him or something? It was, He's like, I added myself in. They're like blown away. Exactly. And when you watch it, it is that good. You cannot tell. Well, you know. They're putting their selves in footage. At the very end of that episode. Of, a, of a older film. At the of the episode, you know, in Deep Space Nine, Cisco walks up and speaks to Captain Kirk in his in his command chair. Remember that in yeah. the final episode. Yeah. Do you know who really did that? Who Marlena? Oh, okay. She was the captain's woman in the parallel universe. That's what I thought so. And she was actually on the Enterprise. Also, she had just come on board. Okay. She, and Spock says. Do you know her or something like that? Yeah, because the said, footage had to already exist. Yeah, and that's what they replaced her with Cisco. Yeah. And in the background, you also see Dax yeah. creeping around on the, <laughs> on the uh, she's on the bridge doing things, just, yeah. you know, moseying around. And I thought that was well done. I mean, you truly feel like they, they've gone into an old Star Trek episode, which they did basically. Yep. And they did such a good job of it. Yeah. it. It's just amazing. I mean, we know how they did it now and everything, but it's, it's still, still amazing. It's yeah. incredible. And of course I wanted to mention too, the fact that you came over here one time Jeremy and I used to get together a lot more than we do now, but it was still infrequently. But uh, but the last two or three years, we just fight to try to get anything done. And we fought to do what we're doing here today. Yeah, yeah, of course. And we've had all kinds of problems <laughs> while it's been going on tonight you don't know anything about. No, and everything's smooth. It's the reason why it's 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> but anyway... He came over here one time, and he's telling me about these webisodes. And, of course, I have no internet, so everything he tells me about that's got to do with the internet is like, ooh, you know, I feel like Floyd on the... I couldn't even <laughs> hardly... Ooh. I couldn't hardly explain it to you. I was so excited. And so he, he puts them on DVDs, because he knew at least he could play them on that here, because I have that. And so he says, uh, oh, we're going to have a good time tonight. And he starts, I'm, I'm running around, we're both running around making food, because that's one of the things we always do when we get together, is we either go out and get something, bring it back, or, or we're fixing it here. And so we were actually, I think, fixing it here that night. I, I don't know so. what we were having, and yeah. I don't even remember. It's been so long ago. But <laughs> years, I, all years. I can remember is, is that I couldn't get anything done in the kitchen. He kept on loading these things up, and I'm like, Oh my God! And the sound, <laughs> the sound, the quality was great. They even had the NBC chimes at the beginning, yep. and uh, these are all new actors. The peacock, and they're so good. Yeah, I mean, there's one guy looks so much like Spock. Yeah, and that's probably the biggest downer to it is. And it wasn't Quinto either. The act, no, <laughs> but the actors change out a lot. Yeah, and you have to get over that. You have yeah. to go. That's Captain Kirk now. That's so, but it's awesome. It's still great. It was so good, and and um, they had one. I forget which episode it is. It's the one where it's it's about the um, 
doomsday machine creature. Yeah, the, the, it's like the a entity. sequel. Yeah, and they used war. What is it good for? Yeah, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I played that on the radio years ago, and of course, I've been playing it on my CDs yeah. here just recently too. This is a different version of the song, though. I don't know who did this version, but it was so perfect and appropriate mm-hmm. for what they were doing. And this big uh, doomsday machine thing—it almost looks like a snake in these in this version because mm-hmm. it whips up and down. Yeah. Whereas the original just looked like a great big paper mache. Yeah, this one looks better. Yeah, actually. this one's more like a real live entity of some sort. Right. Which they never really intended it to be. Yeah. But that gives it a little more realism. But it's snaking its way through the uh, through space, and there's this music playing over it. And I'm thinking, this just goes together perfect. Whoever thought this up, they really had a great idea. And that was just for a promo. Yeah, that's that right. That wasn't in the yeah. show. It was, yeah, And that's another thing you mentioned. They did the promos on the next voyage. They did the a next, lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, they did a lot. I mean, for a webisode, they went all out. They wanted it to be as cre- uh, creative and original, mm-hmm. much like the old series. As they as they could possibly make it, but that they really guy's didn't. name is James Colley, and he's in Vegas, and he's a very um, a successful Elvis impersonator. That's what he does. And the next thing I know that he was doing was working on the Wild West. The wild was it the Wild Wild the West? The Wild Wild West. Yeah. Do was, they have a new version of yeah, that? Yeah, make remaking that, continuing it. I mean, he loves to get into the old things and redo them, doesn't yeah. he? But uh, anyway. Um, yeah, you can pretty much thank him, and he's got some connections to the next generation. I've seen his name on the credits before, yeah. and uh, I didn't know who he was until we, we started watching yeah. these things. Of course, it's funny how your brain will catch things. They actually have a digital magazine on new new uh, Star Trek Phase 2. They have a digital magazine, and it kind of explains everything. How many episodes are there in those... Nah, there's probably a bunch of them I haven't seen yet. There's probably thirteen or fourteen right now. Wow. Yeah. We need you you got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, and they and they've got more in the can. They just it takes forever. Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do. It's all volunteers (laughs) and everything, you know. Yeah. But uh, um, how about a, I once worked in a radio station. What like about that. a Star Trek episode, <laughs> a piece of the action? Oh, I love the piece of the action. That was such a great episode. Uh, one of the funniest scenes in that. We were just talking about this the other night, uh, Captain. You are an excellent starship captain, but as a taxi driver, you leave a great deal to be desired. <laughs> He's grinding a, the gears, yeah. <laughs> and he has one of these beautiful cars from the third. Yeah, it's beautiful, and. The little boy that's in there is uh, Opie's friend yeah. on the uh, Andy Griffith show. Yeah, the one that finds Arnold. the Arnold. The, he finds the tape and everything. Yeah, and he's, he's a, the one that says, "Yeah, you're gonna get a piece of the action." Yeah, yeah. And I love it when um, they're talking to the uh, gangsters, and uh, Spock's being Spock, and Kirk's trying to get him out of his Spockiest way. He, <laughs> yeah. way he talks. And yeah, he says. Uh, you're gonna give you a small piece and and uh spock says minuscule <laughs> very small <laughs> oh, and of course the game fizzbin yeah that was hilarious where uh kirk um, plays that card game which one yeah that is funny it's a weird game which is the one where they um have they have to use the computer and take everyone's heartbeat 
Oh, and yeah. And phase them out. That one is called Court Martial. That's a really good one. That one's a, yeah. I, I, I skipped it. I have it on here. I missed that one. Court yeah, Martial. Court Martial's an excellent I episode. love that one. Uh, now, I, on the Blu-ray, there's a bad thing about it. When it goes, switches from um, Captain Kirk and the the guy's fighting on there and it goes to the a wide shot whenever it goes to a wide shot it's body doubles and you can tell really easily <laughs> that it's two different people so there's a times where hd ruins things in a way you just made me think of something i wanted to tell about a while ago we were talking and about the phaser how- switch out <laughs> different phasers remember me telling you uh we were talking a little while ago about how uh the stations used to get the films and they would cut them up for their commercials, and then they'd put them back together before they'd ship them on to somebody else. Well, often, they would actually splice a piece of film in in reverse. And surprisingly enough, it will work. It, it All you do is just put it in backwards, and the sprocket holes and everything, they line up, and the music goes backwards, and the picture goes backwards, and sometimes it's upside down, too, depending on the scene. Well, I remember Channel 22. <laughs> Channel 22 was notorious for this up in Dayton, Ohio, because that was one of the stations that I used to watch these shows on. In fact, they had an Outer Limits episode that I, I've told you about this a bunch of time um, that was it was even more pronounced than what I'm just about to tell you. But you just brought up the, on Court Martial. You know where he goes down there to to have it out with the guy that's hiding yeah. on board? Yeah. <clears throat> he... Um, this one station, every time they'd play this episode, he's hanging upside down. <laughs> he, there's a point where he drops down yeah. to, to fight with Kirk. And he's not supposed to be upside down. He, he actually flies up from the floor. <laughs> and the music's backwards. And it's hilarious because I think I even have an audio recording that I made off of that station of Star Trek where and you can actually that. hear that. <laughs> and the Outer Limits episode was the episode about the... Um, the ant-like creatures. What's the, what's the title of that? It had Bruce Dern in it. I can't think. I don't know. My brain is so dead now. I can't yeah. think of anything anymore. But anyway, there's a whole sequence at the beginning of that episode where Bruce Dern and this gal break through a, a fence and run down a guard. And um, the Xanthi Misfits. That's the title. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, my brain is definitely working, but not, it's on a delay. That whole sequence in the intro, if you remember in The Outer Limits, mm-hmm. after the series got going a little bit, they used to have a teaser section. Right. When the first season started, they didn't have that. And then they started getting, uh, they wanted to copy off of other shows sure. to, because that was kind of the style at that time. Well, the whole, the whole sequence was somebody somewhere along the line had cut that whole segment off and when they put it back on, they put it on in reverse. So you you see the car out in the middle of the desert, and it's going backwards, and the music's going backwards, and they're not talking or anything, so it's not like you hear voices. Yeah, and, but you hear them, and you know the music, and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, the Outer Limits intro comes on, and it all of a sudden makes a switch. Yeah, and you might and it's forward. And you again. might think that's part of the show. Yeah, it you could be with the outer limits. Yeah, especially considering right. the fact that they used a lot of effects like that because they didn't have any budget. Well, back to Star Trek. <laughs> Last but not least, Spectre of the Gun. <clears throat> Spectre of the Gun was an interesting episode because at first you think, man, they really went on the cheap with this. Yeah, 
and they explain it in, in, it in a way in the story in a way they kind of were cutting the budget they were but at the same time they did it in a very just a very good way um, yeah it's basically tombstone but star trek they beam down this planet and what they say is that hey this is a computer program. They realize it's a computer program, and the and the um they're the Earps. Actually, they um the aliens that abducted them and sent them there. Or they're not the Earps. They're the um the uh Clantons. Yeah, that was as much of Kirk's memory as they could probe. Yeah, and it was all fragmented. They had the basics of the story. Yeah. But that's as good as they could get. That's all they could and get. All so, they needed anyway. Yeah, so what they did was <laughs> So there's there's the Star Trek crew. Yeah. You know, you got Spock and and, and, and Chekhov. And Chekhov and Scotty <laughs> and, and McCoy and, and, and Captain Kirk, of course. And they go down there and these all these people there, it's it's just like a red sky and there's yeah. a bar, a saloon. Yeah. But it's not even fully built. There's no walls. All it is is a street front. Yeah, and it's got the even the swinging doors. Yeah, and they go in there, and everybody sees them as the Clantons dressed yeah. up in a cowboy uniform. They couldn't uniform. convince them otherwise, no matter how much they tried. But they're wearing their Star Trek yeah. uniforms. Don't you notice something different about the material on my shirt? He feels as if nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he it's, says, "Have you ever seen anybody wear clothes like this before?" He says. Yep. And I got to tell you, the Clintons, one one of them gets killed. One of the main guys gets killed. I don't want to tell the the ending, but as a kid, that was very serious to me because I liked them all. Chekhov. Chekhov Chekhov dies in that episode. He loves that episode. (laughs) He got the girl. That's what he always says every time there's an interview. Yeah. Uh, He'd been looking for an episode where he could be a And I got to tell you, man, the, um, the Earps, I wouldn't mess with them in that episode. They looked very serious. They were very serious. <laughs> Love that episode. I watch it, especially around October. I like it for its kind of Halloween life. Yeah. It's really cool. And if you if you like the real Ghostbusters, there's an episode, a Tombstone-related episode in that, too. And I'll put a link to that. But I like watching those two back-to-back kind of go together. <laughs> kind of Tombstone theme. Interestingly enough, we keep talking about the remastering of Star Trek. And um, this episode that we're talking about right now with Tombstone and everything, it looks so much better than I have ever seen it. And it sounds so much better than I've yeah, ever seen it. It's really neat. Um, it, uh, it just absolutely knocks you over. It's got really good sound in it. And I have the soundtrack on, on CD. Yeah, which and is rare. And every time there was any release of any Star Trek music... On any of my CDs, it seemed like that particular show was always included. So I have like maybe two or three copies of that same. That makes sense. uh, Yeah. You know, the one that I think that they never, and I may be wrong about this, and it seems like somebody even questioned them about this somewhere. I don't remember where I heard this, but uh, the episode with Apollo, which is also another good episode we didn't mention. There's Um, all so many that we didn't mention, but. I've heard that pronounced different ways. Who mourns for Adonis? Who mourns for Adonias? Yeah. I'm not sure how you pronounce it I'm not it yet, either. But um, that was a great episode. And um, the soundtrack, the music track to that, as far as I know, they've never actually included that on any of the CDs I have. And I think I have just about everything they ever released. And you can't get any of them anymore. Right. 
Um, I used to get them through. Those Christmas. soundtracks are always become rare. Extremely They're limited. Almost at the time you bought them, they were over. Yeah, I mean, it was. I couldn't they believe always, it. They always cost a little more, and you're like, I don't know if I should, but if you think about it, you better just get oh, one. Oh man, they were great too. <laughs> um, you know what I was amazed at? Now, whether or not this is completely true, hundred percent, we could do some research, I'm sure. But on every one of my CDs. And they are all the original tracks, so how could they be otherwise? Um, it's the Royal Phil, it's the London Royal Philharmonic Orchestra yeah. that they that they hired to do right. the soundtracks for Star Trek. Now, of course, the writers were like Alexander Courage and, and there were a variety of others. Lionel Newman even worked, I think, on Star Trek. He also worked on um, the Lost in Space soundtrack with um, uh, John Williams. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a lot of these people who did a lot of the writing for the music, they did all kinds of things. Right, and right. they're kind of in the background. You look for them, you find yeah. them in the credits, and that's the only yeah, commonality. They're always working on yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they, they really make um, add a lot to it, don't they? Yeah, they sure do. And speaking of the music, that fits in with something else they did for the remasters. They went back and they re-recorded uh, the intro. Yeah. And I love the story about, well, we got the music but what about Captain Kirk doing the intro? And they went back and found an, what you might call an unadulterated version of the actual master track of William Shatner doing the intro of Space, the Final Frontier, yeah. and the whole thing. And it is just great. And, of course, they got a new female uh, vocalist to uh, work uh, the that portion of the theme. Mm -hmm. And they got an orchestra of exactly the same number of instruments in a studio similar to the one they actually had it in years ago, but now it was digitally recorded. Yeah, and every single sound is just and they've got perfect. a they've got a bonus feature on the um, remastered sets, mm -hmm. and it's got a really good feature on that. It it's tells really all neat. about you. Actually, get to see them do you it. Get to see them doing it. Yeah, it's really yeah. neat. Um, let's move on to. Um, Star Trek Discovery. You mean that movie, they that episode they had on television? Yep. Larry, Star Trek Discovery. What did CBS get right on this first airing? This was actually a first for CBS, I think, across the board. As I, going all the way back to the original series, I, I complained, you know, that sports used to always take priority and actually used to boot Star Trek off locally. And sometimes even on the network, but most of the time it was local. Yeah. And this has been a commonality with science fiction or anything that I like. And a lot of people like myself, even with the networks today. And we had an example of that. And I said here just the other day, and I was wrong about this. And Jeremy and I even agreed on it at the time. This has been a very crazy year. We thought that the uh, X-Files event series was two years ago, and it was really only a year ago. And they did. Yeah. Oh, Actually, man. I got it right. You got I it said right. one year. But then when you corrected me and said two, I said, oh, okay, two. It felt I like be it, I believed it, you. It felt like two years <laughs> to me, but it hadn't been that long. But anyway, everybody was outraged by the fact that they finally got a football game done in time. Keep they in mind finished that they did this to X-Files all the time. Yeah, they did it to it all the time. Um, but they get the game finished in time, the football game. They got the football game finished, and it was the X-Files was supposed... This is the event series, okay? Not the series that was on the air for years. This is uh, getting it all back together again. And it was a very important intro 
with with uh, Mulder at the beginning, kind of bringing you up to speed. Yeah, you know of what the X Files was originally about and all the various events that had occurred in our history that were X File type things. And it was like maybe I'd say a good two minutes of the intro. Uh, where he does nothing but just bring you up to speed and they show you all these scenes and everything. Well, that was incredibly important. Of course, you only get to see that if you buy the DVD version because they screwed it all up on television. Right. Uh, Actually, they didn't screw it up. They took us so by surprise that people who were trying to watch for it missed it. And what happened was at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock, which is when they had it scheduled to be on, they came on and the football game was completely over and they could have done a nice transition and had the show exactly on time. But oh no, they had to talk about this game for 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. And Let's then right in happened, the middle folks. of a sentence, they cut into the X-Files. Yep. I mean, they were still talking about football and all of a sudden, boom, there it was. It's like everybody was outraged. It's like, what the hell just it's happened? It's like nobody needs to... to um See this 20 minutes is set up for the rest of the episode. Well, you know, this is why we're having podcasts right now about Star Trek is so that you can, for people who want to rehash things or we want to talk about something, do it somewhere where the venue is correct for it. Yeah. I don't understand why it is that every time they have any kind of a sporting event on television, they have to spend another hour and a half or two hours rehashing the whole thing. And we even have radio (laughs) stations now that don't do anything but that. Right. I mean, I can't believe what's happened to AM radio. They'll start, like, I don't know, an hour at least before the game talking about what the game's going to be. Please don't misunderstand me. (laughs) I respect people for what they like, no matter what it may be. And the only reason I'm so irritated is because I've always felt like I was kind of pushed around by people even when they don't even know I'm there, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. Uh, I, it, because it's an inadvertent pushing it's around. Like, don't I have any right to actually watch what I want to watch without having to play this game of when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, and that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what they did that night. And it not only got me upset, I found out later just about everybody was upset. Oh, we were pissed. Everyone and was everybody pissed. really yeah. was. And so, well, because we kind of knew they were going to do it. We knew it. Yep, Let's exactly. Let's be honest. When you expect it and it actually happens, it that makes, makes you more you, mad. Yes, yeah. It, <laughs> your expectations have been fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. Now you're really ready to raise hell. Yeah. <laughs> you would think we'd be the opposite. Like, oh, we knew they were going to do it. We were braced for it. But now you get more mad. It's just too many years of the same old stuff over yeah. and over. That's what it is. But so, in this case... We, this is where we're going with this. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Gomer would be proud. CBS, Um, they did it right. Respectfully this year. I I don't know. Maybe they learned from their previous experience. I, I think they must have. Because what I noticed was while the game was still going on, because I had it on in order to be ready, because I'm expecting things to be all screwed up, then they weren't on time. But then no. I can I can actually yeah. live with that. Yeah, we understand You're that. You're doing a live performance. No one can expect a football game to end exactly on time, but they didn't follow it with 25 or 30 minutes of... Talking about what just happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they do the same thing with um, when the president speaks. Yeah, now let's talk about what he said. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what he really said? We're, you know, it's like... <laughs> 
<laughs> let's see how many ways we uh, can tear it, it apart. Let's play it back again. Yeah, let's let's rehash this thing to death. Yeah, and more times than not, they they put their own slant on you what he what? says. I use oh, of course, you know, I used to be able to depend on Fox for dodging all that stuff, and then yeah. they got the news. Yeah. But I digress. So <laughs> anyway, CBS does it right this time? I couldn't believe it. I almost, uh, I, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> they were actually promoting. Well, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> the ball game was still going on. There were only seconds of it left, but yeah. they, but uh, minutes, I should say, there were minutes of it left. I didn't know that at the time, but they were saying. Well, please stay tuned tonight for 60 Minutes. And by the way, Oprah Winfrey will be on as well. This is our 50th anniversary of 60 Minutes, followed by Star Trek Enterprise. No, not Enterprise. (laughs) Discovery. This guy was like... Not Enterprise? Hold on. The Next Generation. We were so shocked, we couldn't remember the title of it anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah, they actually promoted And I'm not Deep kidding. Deep Space Nine? It was, like, <laughs> it was like three times they actually promoted it. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And then they did exactly what they said they were going to do. They went into 60 Minutes. And during 60 Minutes, they announced it again. Star Trek was going to be following 60 minutes. Star Trek Discovery following 60 minutes, right? Yeah. And it came on on time at the end of, uh, they had one commercial break in between. Now, here's something I discovered with Discovery. (laughs) I mentioned this to you this afternoon. In fact, I've kind of noticed it on CBS this week on other shows. And I hope that this is a, a, a return to the good old days. They came out of a commercial, or shall I say, they came out of the episode into commercial, and it was like a pause. Yeah, which they usually don't get that anymore. They do not. I swear, I am so sick and tired of having a sentence almost finished in an episode and... Commercial. Are you on Medicare? <laughs> do you have the red, white, and blue card? Yeah. And then they give you a... Uh, commercial for some kind of medication, and then this other side, which effects. is about two seconds long, the ad. Yeah, and you have another thirty seconds <laughs> to forty-five seconds worth of side effects, including death. It may cause death. Your eyeballs may fall out. <laughs> <clears throat> you may have the itching of the scalp. Uh, you may have un- unwanted flatulence. <laughs> I love the one. <laughs> This is really getting off the track, but there's one I get a kick out of. It's actually a Geico commercial. Yeah, and, that's pretty good. And the, this cute little gal, she's standing there. And um, what is the name of the boys and the men? Uh, boys to men? Boys to men. That's the name yeah. of the group. Okay. They're it, they're back there with the pharmacist. You can't tell it's a Geico commercial. No, you sure can't. And, it's, <laughs> and this goes to show you that you can make a commercial that people remember. Yeah. And they're not upset about it because... And not only, not only that, but I know what the commercial was for. Right. Which That's really... Most of them, you, you, you literally want to not know. I don't even want to think about it. And you're so sick and tired of hearing the same ones over and over and over. And there's absolutely no gaps. That's what I was getting at with, with Discovery. Yeah, and right. I've noticed it lately on CBS on a couple of other shows. And I'm thinking, are they really going to start well, giving us a little pause? You like that so you can pause it and you're doing old school recording of it, right? Yeah. Well, no, I'm not even recording and oh, editing anymore. Okay. I just like a break for a second. Just a little I second like- to go, okay, that's over. We're going to commercial. <laughs> exactly. I want it to be able to not be a part of the sentence that I'm actually hearing in the dialogue of the show. 
Um, I've noticed that a lot on Criminal Minds. They run that on Ion TV, for example, mm-hmm. the reruns. And they'll be right in the middle of a scene, and uh, Spencer or somebody will be saying something, and all of a sudden, the commercial is so tight that you're into an ad for some medication or Medicare or whatever it happens to be, which, by the way, is a commercial you've already heard at least five or 6,000 times today, and you'll hear it again five or six thousand times again tomorrow Mm -hmm. and pretty soon you're so sick and tired of it that your brain just literally wants to jump out of your head i was of the i was of the old school where you always put a pause in and there were certain kinds of things where you used a kind of ethic i guess would be the word or or respect especially when it's a sad or mournful scene yeah, but see the the advertisers—they don't know what they the don't heck care is going. about yeah. that. But the, you know the radio, you but do that too. I told you that they'll be talking about the Cincinnati Reds or something, and, and then commercial <laughs> right in the middle of sentence. Yeah, <laughs> well, they'll finish the sentence, but it's like a millisecond, and yeah. then you're in the commercial. And I'm like, wait a minute, what what are they talking about this for? Oh, it's a commercial. They didn't used to be able to do that because the equipment was not that sophisticated. Now they can. Now they do it. Yeah. And, oh, and I hate the ones where they. They do what I call the verbal fine print. Yeah. That's where they speed it up real fast. Sounds like an auctioneer. Mm-hmm. My oh, beta yeah. machine yeah. used to be able to do that. We have a station here in Cincinnati, Warren like, 98. You remember the Micro Machine commercials for the toys, Micro Machines? Yeah. And that guy was really fast, and, that, and he was getting all kinds of work. <laughs> and the Micro Machines, he was their main spokesman. And he actually did it. He did it. It but wasn't sped up. They actually use yeah. a device now. That, that was actually a, a little neater. Yeah. Because he actually was doing it. It made you feel like this, yeah. is, this is fun. It was entertainment, yeah. But now it's just... Uh, so, getting into the actual episode... Once what, they got going... What would you like about that? <laughs> well, I was impressed with the way it started out. Because the intro uh, had all these neat scenes. Of course, you didn't see that intro right away. You saw the... They start the movie. Yeah, and we'll, then, we'll talk, then they go to yeah. the intro. Yeah. The movie, uh, starting off, you're like, well, okay, where are we? And who are yeah. these people? But it was done in a tasteful manner. You realize within seconds that one is the captain and the other, I believe, is the first and officer. And it's very cinematic. Both females. Yeah. Now, I'm still not sure about the one gal. Was she a Vulcan? I, I, I think so, but I'm not We need to re-watch sure. yeah. the movie because yeah. there's so much to yeah. absorb. Well, the episode, it's not a movie. <laughs> it is an episode. But it, it was, is cinematic. It's very it, cinematic. It makes you feel like you're watching a movie. That's why I felt like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they really did a good job because they're like in a desert and they're walking along. Mm-hmm. And there's all this dialogue is, is informing you of who they are and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're up to speed, which is what I've been complaining to Jeremy about with all the Star Trek movies that have come out since the new generation of Star Trek movies yeah. with all the new actors. Right. We start out in every one of these movies in some kind of chaos. We don't even get a chance to look at the ship that's going to get exploded in 10 (laughs) seconds. And and, and before you know it, you're actually seeing these ships in the store to buy models. And you don't even recognize them because you never got to see them all put together in one piece in the movie. Star Trek (laughs) 3, I thought Larry's going to have a heart attack when he sees this. It was all over the place. That ship was destroyed. It was gone before we even had a chance to. And I watched it in 3D, too. (laughs) Yeah, that made it worse. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I didn't understand the star base they had in there or any of that now, stuff. I'll be honest with you. Until I finally got to watch it a I second wa- time. I need to watch Star Trek Discovery at least one or two more oh, times. Oh, I need it too. Yeah. Um, I've been spoiled by no commercials, and I was doing other things, and I'd pay attention, but then to go to commercial, I've never heard so many commercials. Oh, my God. You don't know what it's like. My gosh. Uh, over-the-air TV anymore is so many commercials. It's just... It was, it felt like and they're ten, done in such an untasteful way. It felt way. like 10 minutes, at least, of commercials every time. Yeah. It was like 10 minutes You're away show, so long. 10 commercial. That the people that you were watching, they're already 10 years older by the time you get back. <laughs> uh, this movie, though, was extremely well done. Um, I think it's got a really good storyline. Yes. I haven't quite figured out how it fits into the Kirk and Spock universe or pre-universe. Yeah. Uh, and and let's keep in mind, really, that was half of an episode. It's an yeah. episode one, but it's a two-parter. Which I'll not get to see because I have no internet. <laughs> and let's let's go on to that. Um, that's the elephant in the room. That's what has made everybody angry. CBS All Access. You know what? I think that's a wonderful idea for those who want to use it. Mm-hmm. It's like going to Blockbuster and buy, uh, renting a movie in the old days if you want to. But if you wanted to be able to actually buy the movie on videotape or if you wanted to buy it on a DVD and take it home and keep it, you should have that option. Or digital even. Or digital, whatever yeah. it be. But the thing of it is, I don't like this idea of giving us only one method by which to see it. And if that's their, uh, ga- if that's their game... I'm not going to play it. It's only making me no, angry. No, what we decided was, listen, there's so many, um, and if you want that, that's great. That's fine. But we, we want the option, but they will, we'll save our money for it. Exactly. There's so many shows to watch right now. We will get it on Blu-ray or DVD. Yeah. And then and we'll it have looks it. really good. And we can watch it whenever we want, and we'll play it over and figure yeah. out things we don't understand. Which, of course, I think is going to be one of the major problems with this show because, again, it's going to be like Enterprise. I'm going through that series now for about the fourth or fifth time. Yeah. And this time, I'm not watching it on my DVDs even. I'm watching it on the Heroes and Icons network, which, by the way, they deserve a lot of compliments. And you said that we have to get over the fact that these shows... Boy, that that was hard for me. When, when, what was exactly how you worded that? Well, the technology, the technology is so advanced <laughs> to, uh, compared to the original series. Yeah. But um, we have to get over that. When you've been looking <laughs> at little poster boards for years above uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Uhura's head and, and, um, at certain angles you and can see. And the HD version, they're wrinkled. Oh, yeah. They're just, <laughs> I mean, we always kind of knew what they were, but when we really see them clearly in, in yeah. uh, high definition, it's, yeah. uh, it's artwork. It, it's artwork. <laughs> Which, by the way, is what Enterprise did when they got that when when they got that set that we were talking about that they actually got from the webisodes. Yeah, what'd they do with that? They upgraded a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah, there's things on the. Uh, I want to watch that again. And the reason they got away with it is because it's not the Enterprise anyway; it's the Defiant. And we never really knew all that much about the Defiant because all we really saw was a lot of people that had killed each That's other. That's right. It's not truly the the Enterprise. Yeah. No, it's the Defiant, the one that disappeared when the Tholians yeah. encountered it's such the Enterprise. Such a cool story. It's really neat. I yeah. really, I, you know, every time I see that, I'll learn something new. And you also get to see in, in a mirror darkly. Am I, am I, am I giving that in right? In a mirror darkly, yeah. I, I finally got that title right. Yeah. You also get to see a Gorn. Yeah. And this Gorn <laughs> looks like a, uh, like a dinosaur. Yeah. And so 
it's not that different from the Gorn that we saw in the episode from Star Trek originally, but it's more realistic looking. Right. And um, Archer puts a stop to it real quick. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the intro. You, you had mentioned that. Yeah. And it's really neat. Now, some people weren't happy with it, but I really like it a lot. Well, for one thing, the music is very traditional. Yeah. It's got a little bit of both. It's got the Star Trek music at the beginning and uh -huh. end, and you recognize it right away. And then it's kind of got its own, like a classical thing all the, in, a, yeah. in a way. It's almost like they, they, they created their own little theme yeah. for that particular show. Yeah. And, but they used the Alexander Courage version. And, yeah. And you mentioned, um, which is really good. You mentioned that it's kind of like a parchment paper. Yeah, like that's what it looks that. like. It, it does. It, it really does. And it reminded me of... Um, Almost like a scroll. Yeah, and it reminded me of a painting. And I, I wrote this up. I said, um, I really like the intro. I like the style of it visually, and I like the music a lot. The visual effects remind me of artwork of Leonardo da Vinci, Anatomical Man. Near the end of the introduction, about a minute and seven seconds in, you see these arms in astronaut suits. Then you see the two hands where their index fingers are going to touch. Mm -hmm. I think of Michelangelo's painting, The Creation of Adam. It also has an overall effect as if you're looking through a microscope. The music has a touch of Star Trek original theme music at the beginning and end, but it also has this overall classical theme, too, that's very fitting. And it's uh, it's kind of got um in a way sepia tones not exactly yeah. it, but it kind of has sepia tones. It's more of a parchment. Look. It's a bit parchment. You're yeah, right. Kind it, of a that's, yellowish. That's uh, really more accurate. A parchment yeah. look, and then it's got deep blues, reds, mm -hmm. orange, and black throughout the visuals. It's just really creative and, and beautiful. And if that weren't enough, they even throw a whole bunch of schematic diagrams in yes. showing the breakdowns and internal fixings of the uh, and it's got phasers these transitions that got a little blur to them and yeah. then come into focus. It just kind of comes in and goes out. That's what the microscope effect. Yes, it's very creative. I love it. I thought it was I a neat really idea because beautiful. and it's also not the new phasers and tricorders and things that uh, might be in this particular. A series but they're actually diagrams of the ones from the original series you're right you're correct yeah and uh, i thought that was kind of neat because obviously they aren't that far ahead yes. in time before spock and kirk and and uh ncc 1701 it makes me want to watch it i might just have to wait until they all have aired and posted on all access and then get the free trial and then you know, if I got to pay a month, binge watch them. <laughs> but hey, I'll be lined up to buy them on, on Blu-ray and DVD. Oh, yeah. I'm going to want to have them um, physically yeah. in my library, even though I have no room left in the house. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, you're out of room. <laughs> the people would not believe what we have here in this house. You got a lot of DVDs. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah it's. Uh, I never thought. Starting in in 2002, if somebody had told me that one day I would have, I started, Jeremy loves this story because I have a little closet. Yeah, that'll and be enough. I'll put some shelves in there. We had this, when we bought this house back in uh, 1997, there was a broom closet in the laundry room. <laughs> And it wasn't really wide enough, even as a broom closet. I cleared a shelf off for myself. I said, here, this shelf will be good. I I'm finally, not here in my own house, but. All of a sudden, about 2002, <laughs> I started seeing all kinds of classic movies and stuff on these real cheap DVDs. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, that'd be great. They're like only a buck. 
And so <laughs> I start buying them here and there. And I said to myself one day, you know, I'm getting quite a few of these, but I don't have a player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I got me a DVD player. And before I knew it, I had so many in these small sterilite bins the little ones the small bins yeah, right and i'm like okay well these are stacking up pretty high and i thought where can i put these things and so i ended up trying to put shelves um in case you've ever tried to put shelves in a modern home don't feel bad if you discover that nothing is square and nothing is level <laughs> uh modern architects don't use squares and they don't use levels nah. i found that out when i tried to put my shelves up that i made exactly perfect because i measured in one part of the cabinet <laughs> and try to put these shelves up you don't and need that stuff you don't want to be perfect what you want to do is you want to sit down and cut each piece for each spot and and then you got to figure out how to attach them to the wall because yeah. the kind of uh, this this uh, drywall stuff is so weird well, long story short the, this i filled that cupboard up this <laughs> this and, closet was not adequate oh no and not only did i not not only did i fill up the shelves but i even stacked more in front of them yeah and then i took over one whole wall in the garage and you got you have an addiction and it's not finished yet we um we're gonna have to have an intervention there's going to have to be some kind of an aaa <laughs> for dvds uh, friend of larry's are you a friend of larry's <laughs> it really does become an addiction because no matter how many of them you have you think oh there's one more i'd, I'd like to have that to fit oh you yeah you don't tell me to finish this up <laughs> I'm gonna um, play the intro to lead us out. Okay, the, the introduction. But before before that, I'm gonna say, uh, Larry, thank you for your time. Well, this has been great. Live long and prosper. I wonder if anyone's on the uh, on the communicator. <laughs> oh, there he is. We can't make transporter contact, sir. Moving <laughs> up, notify transporter room. I'm glad they are all going to leave along with us. That way we won't feel like we've been left behind, will we? Well, make it so and beam us up, Mr. Scott. I say, old boy, it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes this episode of the Retrospect Reflect Podcast. Thank you for listening.
This has been a production of the Outer Zone Studio. For program information, visit OuterZoneStudio.com. Please rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Intro and outro music provided by BenSound.com. 